0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number one eighty-two. So glad you could join me. Today's guest, Sarah Atlinger, is here. She'll be with us in about fifteen minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle's a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a five hundred one c three nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since nineteen ninety-five, and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click on the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed, ring the bell for notifications, leave reviews on iTunes and Spotify, anything like that that you can do. Tell your friends the old-fashioned way, just say, hey, I watched the Rattlecast the other day and it was really cool, you should check it out. That always helps. We just want to spread poetry around the internet. Anything you can do to help that would be much appreciated. Now, as always, we like to start with the uh, poetry poets respond Poets. And we have two this week. We have uh, Sundays that everybody's already read in a Tuesday poem that'll be a surprise to everybody who's uh watching this live. And uh let's go right now to Sunday's poet Shannon Mann. Um, hey Shannon, how are you doing? Hi.
1: I'm doing really well, thank
0: you. Yeah, it's it's so great to see you. So um yeah. um, um so so tell us what this poem is about. Um, it's <laughs> uh, I mean we kind of know by the title, but uh but yeah. how did you come about, how did you encounter uh, this for the first time, and why, what made you want to write a poem about um, the uh, the new AI?
1: we've we'll, um, been hearing things kind of about it circulating online. We as and me and my partner, uh, Karen, he's here as well. Hi.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> readers are really familiar with, with Rattle with with Karen. He's been uh, in Rattle very often as well, so it's great to see you two <laughs> together.
2: It's my favorite magazine. <laughs> uh,
1: Both thanks. of ours. Um, yeah. So then we read the chat, the um, the article. From the Atlantic, and we found it really interesting. So, just for fun, we also tried a couple of the um, the uh, the uh, AI generators, <laughs> and it was stupid, but also silly and fun. But we also thought about how there can be um, probably in the future more. Um, it feels silly to say it now, but like dangerous implications of it. But there really probably are with you know all of these things that kind of creep into technology and become so normal that you kind of don't even miss when things weren't like this. Um, and yeah, so we thought, well, you know, the only thing that we know how to do about these kind of things is to write a poem. So let's write a poem. Um, and um, and as the poem's narrative goes, it's pretty similar, like um, trying, to, trying to see what we can take from the AI poem and uh, how we can actually write a real poem, which I'm like air quoting, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, let's read the poem first, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more after. So everybody uh, who hasn't read it yet can, can get a chance to.
1: Okay. I ask AI to write a poem for my lover, and it writes me a red flag. According to science, love enters midlife crisis at 17 months. We are at 11. Six more months, I tell him, until the AI poem assembled from our woe and woo world prophesies our war. But we're having fun with this. We're piecing together a bread loaf from crumbs like fire and flour. Change flour, Kay says. We scroll through a list of color and smell, settle on lilies, cut and paste them beside the lonely cursor. He claims a poem is not just the poem, but the place it came from too. I claim annoyance with ether, with technology selling water by the river. And just as we want to scrape together a sonnet, the power cut obliterates the Wi-Fi. Our screen goes black. The sonnet of ones and zeros yawns behind the glass. We bite our t- we bite our lungs shut in the prosthetic night. Kiss like snow on windshields. Our fingers flicker against skin, trace a minefield of muscle along spine. Clothes crumble. Words linger like spiders beneath the toilet bowl. Their bowstring legs attempting to weave a world despite all the shit. AI wouldn't write shit into a love poem, he says. Wouldn't feel urge I do to write you poems, fix you dinner, speak to you differently in bed than I do at the table. Your words aren't more yours than in a poem. You do not own language, but these birds on a wire are yours alone.
0: Yeah, beautiful poem. And there have been a lot of poems coming in um about ai and there's sort of an anxiety that a lot of poets have about this replacing us kind of and, mm. and what's the point if you can generate um poems like this and have ai write poems for you <laughs> what, what was your experience with it do, do you think I, mean, I, I can't decide what to think myself if um it's going to be the kind of thing where you know if right now if you trained AI on our own poems? We Would we generate poems like our poems? And would there be meaning still? Is it like that? Or is it like, does it feel like it'll never happen? What was your experience like with, with using it in that way?
1: Um, so to be honest, I feel like it's happened even without um, AI in the sense that, you know, the internet's become such a large part of our um, world. that So like even when we write, um, when Akira and I write, for example it says there uh change flower he says i mean that's a real thing that he said mm-hmm. so then we're thinking of we're kind of brainstorming flowers what flowers to use you know so like you know we're not sitting in a field we're sitting at home on the internet so then we google like beautiful flowers and we look up lilies right so there's some aspect of the technical and um the ether kind of within the this very um organic thing that's uh, that is poetry but and, and I was also thinking how uh, we think about writing, and some writing can be very formulaic. Um, so there are certain, like, for example, mystery genres or uh, rom-coms and all these beach reads. And even within that writing, the people follow a certain kind of uh, prompt and course. Um, but I think that what distinguishes even formulaic writing or kind of looking on the internet for inspiration and um, ideas to incorporate into a poem is um, as that um, Atlantic article also said is the very um kind of human essence of uh, wanting to do something with what you're touching and feeling around or just seeing on the internet and you're wanting to change it from what it is into something else and this transformation i think requires a very human touch so i i am i'm pretty positive that Uh there will always be a space for organic poetry however even within our landscape now not to kind of jump on anybody's bad side i think there already are um (laughs) extremely um formulaic writers and poets who are very popular Mm -hmm. and who also inspire people to read and then people take them as kind of their uh, gateway drug and you know get into like the better writers so i think we're already kind of coexisting alongside uh that world in some way
0: yeah it's interesting i mean it's similar to maybe um those the the Renaissance painters I can't remember what the names of the devices they used, but there were certain ones where you had a an a lens and you could look at like what you were drawing to kind of trace over it for the first time. Yeah. And then or like a pinhole camera projecting the image on the wall and on the on the canvas and they'd be painting and tracing over it and they were hiding it from everybody, like I'm not using this, don't you can't look at my methods. Yeah. And then that's really what yeah. they'd be doing apparently. Um, and, and then the same thing with like a thesaurus, you know, if you're a formal poet looking up rhymes, is it okay to use a thesaurus? So so maybe there's this way that or even for me, I, I think it's too fast to write by hand. I couldn't do it without a keyboard for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and same. so is that the same like how much is an assist and how much is not is Is a real interesting question. Um, And and I don't know. We'll see. I think a lot of it, what I've seen so far is just sort of word salad coming out of uh, AI. It doesn't seem like it has original (laughs) thoughts. But I don't know how long until it does. So it'll be fascinating to see. And and I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But it's really cool to see you explore this. And um, and I think uh, I should mention, too, Brian O'Sullivan, who's usually here, I think he's going to be here for the open lines. He had an AI write a poem with shit in it just for, <laughs> just to prove it would. He kind of talked it into <laughs> it, and so he that's said he hilarious. might share it later tonight if you stick around.
1: But yeah, that's strange. Yeah, but it's
0: a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just seeing what what we can do with all this stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing that poem. Yeah. Always, always a pleasure. Just love your work, and you have a poem coming up on Friday too. That wonderful gazelle. That was um, oh yes yeah we're Rattle Poetry Prize finalist so that'll be the daily poem on Friday that we can look forward to as well. Thanks Shannon, it's always Thank a pleasure you. seeing you and, and seeing Quran over there too in the corner. So. Yes, <laughs> yeah there he
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Take care. <laughs> you too.
0: Yeah, that was Shannon Mann with uh, Sunday's poem. I asked AI AI to write a poem for my lover. Um, they're they're calling from India, of course. So uh, very early in the morning, maybe they can go back to bed. Now let's see tomorrow's poem. We're going to have a preview of what we have on tap for tomorrow. And Claire Cross is here. Are you there, Claire?
3: Uh, yes, I'm here. Hey, yeah, great to see hey. you. Yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah, and so you have a totally different
0: topic for the poem uh, that <laughs> yes, you're, <I> do. <laughs> you're doing tomorrow. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what uh, what it is that you're doing?
3: Uh, yes, there was the article a while ago about a pigeon that was found that had been dyed pink, uh, presumably for a gender reveal party. And uh, it was taken to a rehabilitation center, but it it died. And they said that uh, it had very strong fumes and they said it essentially suffocated. Hmm. And of course, people were horrified by this and I was horrified. And I thought, uh, who would do such a thing? And then I went, oh, wait, I did something kind of like that myself. Uh, because when I was in the sixth grade, I did a science fair project that was, Uh, attempting to color baby chicks by uh, injecting dye into fertilized eggs. So that had me thinking about uh, just treatment of animals and that science fair and the fact that while I was horrified at something that had been done to an animal, I had done something very similar myself, and the poem came out of that.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting when the news triggers that triggers memory, and you hadn't thought—I probably hadn't thought of that in a very long time, right? Uh, about that right. experience, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's something too that was just great about this poem about the honesty that you bring to it. Um, and and I don't know, there's a way that just if we tell our stories honestly, it's always interesting. And that was the the case with this poem. Um, is that is that a thing that you always pursue in your poems? Like trying to be open and honest.
3: Uh. Yeah, I tried to. I I think it can be helpful sometimes when you admit the, something bad about yourself, and you're not trying to have this facade of always being a perfect person. So yeah, I, I do feel like I had to be very honest uh, in in writing this about about what I had done.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear it. This is pigeon dyed pink. Go ahead right. whenever you're ready.
3: I too colored birds or tried to. Mine didn't hatch. Every day I peered into the yellow incubators, hoping to see a cracked shell, a blood spot, a beak, something to tell me I'd have bright chicks like I saw at the state fair and could bring to the science fair. After we gave up, my father buried the eggs out back, broke them first to see. I was too sad to watch, but my sister remembers a dead chick Brilliant blue, like the food coloring I'd injected, my 10-year-old fingers pushing the hypodermic's plunger after carefully poking small holes. I wrote out a schedule for turning the eggs. Everyone played mother hen. My brother, who stayed up late, turned them at night. My mother, at dawn. How I longed for those chicks, red, blue, green. How I pictured them pretty and purple and soft. And then it was over. Nothing but broken shells, dead embryos. I still made a poster for the science fair, set out empty incubators, talked to judges, somehow won a first prize. My brother built a computer and won first outstanding. But in this year, this 1969, when everyone knew Christian Barnard's name, The boy who sliced open two rats moved a heart from one chest to another, called this a transplant, counted 10 heartbeats, and said the rat lived. That boy got his picture in the newspaper, his two dead rats right there on the front page.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful poem, and just in its honesty, like I said. And and that's one of the topics that I think um in the future we'll be talking about a lot, just the way we treat animals and, and as if they're not like living beings. There's just sort of a, a holocaust going on every day all across the world at all times. And um you know, that that rats are such social animals and they play and laugh, you know, to think that and then, you know, using them as science experiments was one of the things that I always felt uh, troubled by when I was working in, uh, in biology back in the day. Um, is that, um, I don't know, do you think, is that something you think about often or is that just something that this memory pulled up?
3: Uh, it's something I think about quite a bit. I think that the way that we tend to think about animals is very, uh, it's very strange. Like, uh, this, this pigeon that died, for instance, they said that normally these pigeons are used for food. Uh, You know, if someone had taken it and killed it and eaten it, nobody would think twice about it. So uh, yeah, I I think we're very, uh, uh, I don't want to say hypocritical, we're just not consistent. We're not Mm -hmm. consistent that people can get very upset about animal cruelty, but then you cannot see the cruelty that you're participating in yourself. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on anytime a story like this comes up too. But uh, yeah, thanks for writing this great poem and it's going to be the the, the daily poem tomorrow. Um, And great to meet you, Claire, and and thanks for joining us tonight.
3: Thank you very much. Yep, take care. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that was uh, Claire Cross with tomorrow's poem, Pigeon Died Pink. Uh, That'll be the daily poem on Rattle.com. If you're not signed up for the daily poem, go to com slash sign up and just sign up for the daily poem. You'll get the new poem every day in your email inbox. You'll also get notices about um, who the guests are on the Rattlecast And what we're doing on the Critique of the Week And deadlines and things like that at the very bottom too So sign up if you don't, it's a good uh, you know, One email, just not too much clutter in your inbox Might as well join 15,000 other people Getting that daily poem Okay, so we're going to take a quick break And go to tonight's main guest, Sarah Etlinger um, So sit tight And uh, I will be right back In just a moment with Sarah And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Like I said, tonight's guest is Sarah Etlinger. Sarah holds a B.A. in English from Skidmore College and an M.A. in English from Syracuse University. And a Ph.D. in Rhetoric and Composition from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Scholarly interests include new media studies, first-year composition, feminist literature, The Beatles, and popular culture. Currently, she's Associate Professor of Composition and Literature at Rock Valley College, where she teaches courses in Composition, Film, and Literature. A Pushcart and Best of the Net nominee, she is author of three books, um, Never Won for Promises from Kelsey, um, Little Human from Claire so- or Little Human Things from Claire Songbirds, and most recently The Weather Gods, which just came out from Barclay Press. And here she is, Sarah Allinger. Hey, Sarah, how you doing tonight? Hey, it's
4: great to be back.
0: Yeah, great to have you on. So you had two just wonderful Poetry Spawn poems last year. And you joined us. You got to join us, Um, like we just had Shannon and Claire yeah. for the early sections. Now we get to have you for a whole hour. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I know. It's
4: like, it's hashtag goals, as the kids say.
0: <laughs> well, exactly. So first, of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about this new book? Uh, what? How, how, does the, how do the themes come together in it?
4: Well, so I wrote it, like, pre-pandemic, right? Like, because I don't write like i don't except for the book i just finished like i didn't set out to write this book right mm-hmm. i write poems and they come together so i think once i had a bunch of them my mentor and coach was like i think there's a lot of weather stuff in here uh-huh. but i was also processing some grief so we were looking at those kind of interactions and then literally like the pandemic happened and everybody was home. And I thought, boy, that's a timely one. Um, but I sent it out. I think I'd sent it out like a month or two before the pandemic started. I can't in 2020. Because um, I wrote everything probably 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. And so it was accepted, but not published for, well, till now. And that's okay. I mean, that that's what happens. Uh, but I was really looking at, this sort of idea of like how do we process ideas of grief how do we what world does you know the 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 world around us play also i'm like obsessed with marianne baruch as a poet Mm -hmm. and she had this amazing poem in her second to not the collection she just did but the one before it the anti-grief Mm -hmm. where it's like all of us singing and it was just this and i wrote into that um where she kind of, I forget the the what she does, but she has these little, like, remnants, like a piece of lettuce on the leftover lunch and the dent in the pillow and, like, the rain. And I was like, oh, but it's really about the things you can and can't control. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So that poem ended up being The Weather Gods, Um, and then I kind of wrote around that.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, well, one of the things that stands out is just that, that the... the sort of the positivity of it through grief. You could, you could almost classify most of the poems as love poems and, and love is very directly in there. Even as you're writing about other topics and issues going on, which is a refreshing thing to do for, for a poet. It's not something we see very often.
4: No, or they'll be so weird. Like, and I love a good, weird, you know, love right? Like mm-hmm. love home as like yard flamingo. Like I love those things, but yeah, it really is. I think, I don't think, Anyone's quite characterized it quite like that, but I, I agree with that interpretation because even when they're not about that, there is, a, I think, a capaciousness, right, that
5: mm-hmm.
4: is uh, becoming a thing that I'm interested in. Um, yeah. Even though I don't explicitly write about joy. Like, I don't say I'm going to write about joy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's hear a poem so we get the the sense right. of uh, what's going on. What do you want to read first?
4: Um... I was going to go in order, but you know what? I'm going to read The Weather Gods, um, because I think that's that's on page 75. Okay, thanks. Um, if any of you have it. Um, but that's the one that kind of is the anchor of the poem, even though it's almost in the last third. That's okay. It's called The Weather Gods. It should be enough, the bits of breakfast, the coffee cups tumbled into the sink, the watermark on the couch pillow, the wave from the window on the way to work. It all should be enough, a matter of routine, the things that come with it, the things we do when doing is being, and being seems all there is to do. It's kind of like the rain. We love it for our gardens or for evenings in deep July, to sit together and hear its roar on the roof and its drum on the earth in the duvet of dark. It can feel good, resolve until you find you're at the mercy of other forces. The weather gods who summon rain while you're changing a tire at the side of the road in late November, cold and raw and sharp, or when it swells the rivers, breaks the dams, swells the earth.
0: Yeah, and that was The Weather Gods, the title poem from the new book by Sarah Etlinger. Um, And yeah, that is a great central metaphor for the poem. And there's a lot of, um, is your husband is a farmer, is that right? Or is it or No, you...
4: he's a um I have a friend who's a farmer. My oh, husband's gotcha. a librarian. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of like farm imagery too. It feels very country, like rural ish in its setting. Well, you
4: know, it's funny. I grew up in the woods of New uh-huh. Hampshire. Okay, that's but it. I live I live in Milwaukee. Uh-huh. But I drive, I work like almost ninety miles away, uh, at a two-year school in, in Rockford, Illinois, and there's fields all the way the whole way.
6: Mm-hmm. is
4: farms and pastures. And so I see it twice a day, every day. And I I, I've been doing that 10 years and I'm not sick of it yet. So I think that, and I, because when I'm driving, you know, you can't really do much, Mm -hmm. but drive, you know, I've got my voice to text and I got my podcast and I got all this stuff, but that's it. So I can do a lot of writing or in my head, you know, and listening, thinking about it when I'm doing that. And I think that's a lot of the rural, uh, comes from just being around it you know as it goes 90 miles out my window yeah. but you know uh,
0: <laughs> yeah exactly but I love
4: it I mean I'm captivated by even like uh all the seasons and even within the season so like now they're rolling the bales of hay so you can see them on the fields and though there's big like spools last week they weren't doing that mm-hmm. so I don't know I just like seeing the changes in. And that even though every 10 years, you know, I'm doing it three days a week for 10 years.
0: Yeah. Well, it's fascinating just as a metaphor because, the, the, you know, there's so many things that happen in life that you can't control. And you yeah. know, the idea of gods, that was the original purpose for gods. And then we, you know, combined all gods into one god and that became the religion. But the idea of that there's these these forces that are outside of you that you have to deal with that don't care about you or or don't, you know, you, that you have no influence in. Um, and that... Well, that
4: they don't even know you exist. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. hmm deer don't really know you They're going to do what they're going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. And I'm a planner, like I'm a classic type a, my mom and I like, when we plan meals, we're like, okay, we're going to plan meals for the week. And, and you can't control any of that. And I mean, a lot of stuff. So it was really hard for me mm-hmm. to come to this realization. Um, But I think I'm, I'm, I'm there.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm almost there. Yeah. Very good. Well, let's hear another poem. Uh, which one do you want to do? Okay. Next?
4: I'm going to do, uh, we, it's similar, I think, to what we were talking about here. We do not yet know all the ways. So again, this idea of, it's a love poem, but it's also something about, um, I think, giving into this sort of, we don't yet know what's going to happen. We do not yet know all the ways our hearts can break. How could we know all the cracks and fault lines when the bends and curves of terrain have not been crossed? How could we know what we'll require when we are left pitched in leaking tents and shivering with nothing but wet leaves for beds? We cannot know these things without maps, without valleys and rivers carved into our skins from love's worn compass. We do not yet know how we will crave the sense of love spent tapering the night down to melted wax, or how your hands learn mine the way dew learns the curve of grass blades. We have not yet come to know just how. When morning sighs, the sun insists it's time for warmth. We are already waiting like water on sleep surface with ink on our fingertips to draw the map, fill in the broken lines, show us where the path will fork.
0: Yeah. And that was uh, one of the early poems in the book. We do not know all the ways uh, from the weather gods by Sarah Etlinger. You mentioned already that you're a big planner, And so how does that, I was wondering, I'm curious about that, how does that go into your writing process? Because, I mean, first, you know, know, a book kind of takes a lot of planning, but also a book ends up being about things that we don't realize it's about in a weird way. Like as we're writing poems, (laughs) you know, it's sort of, there's this organic process where a book emerges and and it's like oh i didn't realize i was writing about that over and over again so so how does that play into the you as a planner to be a poet too where where poetry is such an organic sort of spontaneous thing
4: well i mean it's a good, that's a great question um i think the way that i can plan on most weeks is i try to give myself time to write every week whether it's an hour um and if i'm not feeling it i'm not feeling it right so i can't i'm not the writer that even if it's thursday at 10 o'clock i can't write if i don't have something to write about um but i think so the only thing i can do is give myself the time to write but you're right it doesn't i mean other than the routine um of and i have a child so any given moment right like that may happen or not um i it's hard i think i have to trust the process for whatever reason I am a little bit less neurotic about, my, because I know that process One, I've been, you know, a writing teacher for almost 20 years and I have been writing my whole life and fits and starts. And so I kind of know, okay, this is what happens. You're not going to always get it or you might get it and then you can go back. And so I think for me is I can always change it somewhere. There's, you know, like I can always change it if I want to is the sort of, track door in there um but yeah i mean people are just like you said tonight like this is really a book of love poems i'm like gosh he's right but i didn't think of it this book is five years old for Earth four i mean essentially when we think about it so i'm still learning about what it is and i think i think that's one way we compartmentalize like i can Give this into the world and it will be interpreted. And mm-hmm. that's, I have to let it go.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you think that's something that, that you get out of poetry is the, the ability to let go? Because I'm a person, I'm kind of always in control. I always joke that like, I hate flying because I want to be the pilot. <laughs> yeah,
4: me too. Like I hate and, flying. And like, I'm not afraid. Yeah. I just don't like being at the... Yeah.
0: I, I just don't like somebody yeah. else, you know, managing my... Yeah future i would i just i'd rather be steering the plane and and so poetry is a way that you're sort of not at least your your conscious mind is not steering the plane uh which is always fascinating do you find that that that's maybe one of the the things you get out of poetry is to, to be able to let go of that that sense of like planning it out ahead of time and and you know it's a place where you're free to to just let go
4: yeah i think so i mean i didn't think of it quite like that but i you know i follow um i have some um, poet friends, and they're always talking about like, how do you go from one poet move to the other? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just writing this thing, but I think you do. In that moment, I let go, and the, the poem unfolds, or it stops, and then I got to go back and do it. But yeah, I. And I, yeah, it's a, and I think also the downtime, like all that processing that you do by living your life. Who is it? Louise Glick said she didn't teach all year. This was in like the 70s, but she said she didn't teach all year because she needed like some time to live her life Mm -hmm. and then she could be a teacher and then she could write like she couldn't do both Mm -hmm. yeah, because these things. And so I I think that too, to let go of all the other stuff and just focus on like this poem or these four poems that I've got to revise or something.
0: Yeah. Well, let's hear another one from the book.
4: All right. I think I'm going to do Backyard in August because somebody asked me, Jenna, if you're listening, this is because you asked me to read this one. So, I'll read this one. Backyard in August. This heavy season full of everything glistening, golden, black-eyed Susans drowned in light, tussled in a clump of weeds, ivy twisting its shoulders along lattice fences propped against houses and porches. From where I sit on the patio, the prim, solemn rows of identical chimneys crowding roofs along the block one after the other after the other, strung along the power lines of wires, spines arching and flexing to support our precarious lives. Against the brocade of trees, leaves still richly green, quivering bas-relief for the splotches of birds and birdsong in the stew of swirling clouds. In the vast blue, later hung with a star drift and deep darkening pierced only by fireflies, all of it on display, Summer and Technicolor poured in to every crack and space, everywhere, everything breathing and moving and deepening. All of it, all of it together, nothing seems lonely.
0: And that was Backyard in August, another poem from the Weather Gods. Um, we were talking a little bit just in the break about um that that first topic um the ai and yeah. uh, you know you mentioned being a composition and, and writing teacher and so so i'm just kind of curious uh, what your your experiences and what your thoughts are about ai as it enters the classroom i've i've thought about it for a while i had a i tweeted a long time ago about how eventually like the plagiarism that we're worried about people are going to be caught not plagiarizing but just using ai to write poems and pretending them their own and we're going to be um worried about about that. And that's going to be the accusation. You didn't really write that poem. You just had a computer write it for you, you know? And so, and so I think that's definitely going to happen in poetry, but in it's a much more serious thing when it happens in, uh, in college, when you're trying to, you know, actually compete and prove that you earned the degree you're about to get. So how does that, how do you think that's going to go as a, as a writing professor yourself?
4: I mean, the short version is, and I've been thinking a lot about it too and plagiarism in general and, you know, t- about 20 years ago when I started teaching, they, the professor I had said, look, plagiarism is always going to exist in some form, whether it's, now it's AI, we didn't see that 20 years ago, but students buying us whatever. And if you spend all your time thinking about that, you will just do that. It'll be like whackable, right? Instead, think about what are you doing? What do you want to uh, encourage in the classroom? So if you have road assignments, you know, that. Everybody has to write a five paragraph essay or a 12 paragraph essay on the same three texts. That's gonna invite a lot, right, of of plagiarism. But if you are more innovative or you're getting students to think and you're doing things, you'll have less of it. Um, And that's kind of been my approach. And so I think it's a moment, you know, I can't predict the future. And I've already seen professors at my school, other schools going, I've gotten a few answers. And what they're doing is they're having to retrofit or, Retool their things. But I think, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, necessarily, I think it allows us, it forces us to like, what do we do? What do we do well? What's our value in the university, in the world? And how can we use it as a tool for, to best prepare those things, our students uh, for those things? But also, like, okay, how can we kind of think about what the goal of education is or higher education? I mean, there are so many, especially after COVID, mm-hmm. right? we we are so many at breaking points. So I don't necessarily see it as like kiss of death, but I'm not really, I don't teach fiction or poetry as like creative fiction or book. Po- so I have perhaps a different take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of students already, you know, are using essay writing. Um, they have people who do it. They buy them. There's all these essay farms oh, out yeah, there. So, point. Mm-hmm. so I don't know on any given day right mm-hmm. if my student is writing it i mean it looks like them like i i can look at, across it forces and go yeah that's the thing they but that could be the same person writing all five. like i don't so it's not that i don't think about it and it's not that i don't care about it and i don't think we should do nothing about it i think that if i could was concerned about that that's all i would do mm-hmm. is worry like is this a plagiarized <laughs> yeah. essay yeah. like i would have to run every single essay through like four different Checkers and I couldn't actually grade it. So, I mean, that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. And so I can already feel the hate, feel the hate <laughs> America, the
0: coming in. You know? Yeah. Well, I, to me, I feel like we're gonna have to have a kind of revolution in personal responsibility. You know? Yeah. Like, like if you want to fake stuff, you're gonna be able to fake anything you want. You know? Especially yeah. as we like live more and more online, you can fake anything on Instagram. I oh, get the perfect life. Well, look that at that compass
4: guy. Yeah. Right. The exactly. Guy in yeah. Hmm. Like, he literally, I mean, this is not, I'm not, I don't know if he was checking, but he faked like several identities, mm-hmm. maybe several businesses. Like, I mean, well, you can already do it. And yeah. if he's doing it, other people are, mm-hmm. right? Just out of the world
0: yeah so yeah, yeah i mean personal and, and what
4: responsibility it, is.
0: What, it, what it damages like ultimately is your own soul you know like if you don't want to grow as a human being in these like 80 years if you're lucky we have here yeah then you can have ai write all your poems and trick you know the editor of some literary magazine to to publish them yeah and but, I then, mean, for, but then what's like, the point Unless, yeah
4: <laughs> like to do it for a poem is interesting right because there's like there's no money in poetry yeah. there's no money in you know and like to do it for a seat in comment not that i would but like i could sort of go okay i can wrap my head around like you want the power and the money and the the fame of being a seated common, but like who wants to be i mean i would we'd all love to be famous poets but it's not like when you become a favorite poet you get a million dollars or something mm-hmm. right so yeah. like it's it's really interesting. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, really and the, the pride in it comes from, like, this came out of my, my imagination. You know, this was my personal creativity yes. that somebody else is enjoying. So if somebody else isn't enjoying it, then, then what's the point? You know, I mean, if, if it's coming from somewhere else, then then why should I even be proud of it? I don't know. It, it's, I think we're going to have to just look internally eventually and, and say, you know, I, you know, we do certain things to make ourselves better human beings and grow as we move through life and one of the things is to write essays in college or to write poems and and if we're going to fake it then we're not going to grow and, the, and we're going to be the ones who suffer i think there might be a way that we we grow spiritually just because of the ease with which we could sort of ditch all that that opportunity for growth
4: and who was it that he's like a famous poet it's like on in or somebody who said poetry like doesn't doesn't do anything matter but we men die from Lack of it, or want of it, or something like that. There's that famous. I always get it mm-hmm. wrong. It's William but Carlos I think Williams, true. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was Williams. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was a mo- Some of those, <laughs> those modernists. Um, but honestly, like it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't do anything in the right, like in the world that has necessarily a tangible, marketable thing. But if you don't grow as a human, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, if we know. I mean, as I said, I, I love the ancient Greeks and Rhetoric. The word poem comes from the Greek word to make, right? Like and it's that's just so incredible that you make something. Like mm-hmm. I mean anything. Yeah. Out of anything, out of nothing. Like out of nothing.
0: Yeah. So so is that why you write? I kind of like it's a sort of a baited question, I think you're gonna say yeah. that, that you write for that reason, but 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 is that I, why you write and, and, and why when did you discover that was something worth pursuing? Yeah, you know, that's something I'm always so interested think, in. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I think I've always done it. I asked my mom, um, and she said I was always a reader. I read early. I spoke early. I was writing. My handwriting was terrible, but I would write stories and think of stuff. So I was always into that. Um, When they asked me to write something, you know, in, like, third grade or fourth, they'd do a report. Most kids would have, like, three paragraphs, and I'd be like, I got four pages, you know, because I liked just sitting, even about, like, Mexico or tigers or – And I was going to be a writer. I decided in, I think eighth grade, Uh I was going to be before that, I was going to be an attorney because I'm Jewish. And that's what happens. You have two choices. My sister already committed to the doctor. So I was like, well, that, um, and my dad was the accountant. So your choices, (laughs) I, um, but honestly, I would always, and then, you know, I did commit. I think I was like, all right, I'm going to go to college for English. I'm going to do this. And then I got to my beloved college and I, I would always been in love with literature and I took my first creative writing class. And again, I'm 19 and I'm serious in my head, but I didn't think you revised poems, <laughs> right? Or stories in the way that, so I gave it up. I was like, well, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. This is my poem. I don't want to revise this. And it was a long time that I wrote anything um, hmm. after that. Cause I, I mean, I fell in love with literature. And, composition that i love teaching so i said you know what i'm good i love this job this career and even with um i was at uh uw milwaukee has a creative writing phd i mean they were in my office all the time and i was like let me hear what you were and i was like i like it i don't this one you know but i never was like all right i'm gonna do this and then the shortest version is after my son was a year old uh i was gonna write a novel i was like all right i think i have i can write this novel now and it was plotted my head from all that driving you know uh-huh. um and i was uh we were driving home from uh seeing my parents and it was like summer in indiana i don't know if you've ever been to indiana but it's like cornfields
0: yeah driven through like, <laughs> yeah it's
4: like a sea of green and it's because it kind of looks like this but um with with green and farmhouses and it was literally tim i was driving and i had words in my head and i changed them three in my head three hours home and sat down and wrote the poem oh wow and it became i I, I don't know what i did did i just do this and i showed it to my friends and they were like actually that doesn't suck you need (laughs) to fix it that doesn't suck and i was like is it and then through the drive i did i started to do more and then i haven't stopped and that was probably I want to say twenty sixteen. Oh yeah. No, mm-hmm. so it was kind of a, a my whole life, but it was like shut down for over a decade. Hmm. Um. So, so here I am.
0: Yeah. Do you still have that poem, the the one that you wrote? I
4: do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you want to yeah. read it?
4: I find it. It's not in any of my books.
0: Uh uh-huh.
4: huh. Maybe I should read it.
0: Um, yeah. Can you find it?
4: Uh, let me find it.
0: <laughs> Is it online anywhere? It's gotten
4: or... like. I think I have it. Yeah. Holy moly, the internet in the Wayback Machine. Um I oh wait. Oh maybe I don't have it. I'm gonna find it. I'm
5: gonna find it. I'm gonna find <laughs> okay. it.
0: Okay. Well if you do, drop the link in the chat window and I'll uh, share it on screen too.
4: Yeah. There it was this old defunct journal. Oh I hope there's an archive. Um Oh no! I have a print copy of it somewhere, but it's not in any of my books. Mm-hmm. I will find it for you, Tim. Um, <laughs> but it was basically, yeah, uh, maybe I have it on my computer. Um, <laughs> but the Internet Wayback Machine—I need it. Um,
0: so, so what was it about? Um, can you describe? Well, these?
4: I, yeah, oh, I do, <laughs> I do have it.
0: Ah, nice. Okay,
4: I do. Oh my god. Um. Well, so it was kind of about this moment where I had this moment while I was driving, and you can it's on I ninety, and you can see for literal miles. And yeah, days, I've been on
0: that was, road. Yeah, I drove out to California yeah, on like that road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: green, and you might get like a red barn and a white house, and then like the highway goes through, and then there's like another field, and they're owned by the same guy, you know. Like, and I was like. What is weird? Capitalism is weird. Like, that's the kind of the thought <laughs> that I had. Like, it's so beautiful. And bucolic and Americana. And then there's, like, this road going through, you know. The, and I was like, this is so weird. Um, And I think I wanted to pick up. I mean, I don't know. Pick up on that. So this is me as a baby poet. Um, I'll read it. It's called Crossroads. Elkhart, Indiana, July. Hot with a thick, thick heat. Skies hold the heat you can taste. Beyond the hood of my car, the road stretches west all the way to Crimson, California, and east to New York. Beneath the gray road, a creek jammed up, jammed to bursting from the water of hot summer rains. Fields far beyond my eyes reach show off their bare midriffs as they tan in the sun. Green and rust with corn and soybeans and, and, and. Past the fields, houses sit so delicately, white and weathered like the earth for carpet. Inside them, I imagine, for I cannot see anything but for an instant, as my car throbs the pavement. Boys wash dirt off their fingers from the cracks in their skin, flows water so gray it stains the sink. Girls clean up the shadows of a trickle to eat what mom made from the land that burnt the plants. After dinner, they poke fish poke at a fish or a bird outside near the creek, or catch fireflies as the horses doze. Teenage girls, hair pulled back or cropped hugging necks and cut-off shorts, cropped naked feet against the porch. I see them all, stuck in sort of trapped dream, where tomorrow is more plowing, more eating, more fireflies, more picking, more, more, more. From the road, none of this matters. Each house only a blink. From the house, each car, a blur, a rush, gray with speed, heat, and then more heat, rain, and more heat, good God, it's gray, gray like Syracuse, the road below, good God, good God, good God, like the prayer before eating, each mile a revelation, each car an incantation, an amen to America."
0: Oh, that's great! That was so cool to hear. And uh, and Thank so you. so what to you? What was it about that poem that excited you? Because I I had a similar experience where I kind of wrote for fun, and you know, and then all of a sudden I wrote one where I, I was surprised by what I was saying, and that experience was like, whoa! Like, what am I? What was that? <laughs> and yeah, that's what I made think... me me fall in love with poetry.
4: Yeah, I think the first part was that I had words at all.
0: Yeah, like uh-huh.
4: I was, you know, you're sort of looking at it and you're sort of thinking. I don't know if you drive a lot, but like I drive. So my, mom, you know, the the my one-year-old and my husband and my dog were sleeping. So I was like quiet. I was like, oh my God, I have like a thought, you know? And I was just thinking about it. And then, the, so I was first surprised that there were words in a thing like that I could use. But I think I'm surprised I said that. But I, what I think excited me was that I was like, oh, I could put this here. I could bring something back. Like I could do the, and the more I can, play with sound and melody and use an interesting metaphor or whatever, you know? And I was like, Oh, that was way fun. Like, I want to keep doing that now. Um, But I have no training. So I kept like doing this going, I don't know what you're training. And they're like, you have three degrees of literature. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, but that's not the same. Like we didn't mix with the creative. Not because they didn't invite us to parties, Mm -hmm. but it was just, that was their thing. And like, I wouldn't pretend to know like anything about chemistry. Like I wouldn't be like, hey, I'm coming right. Like why would I so I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, I can write a poem. You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was didn't it was all surprising, all of it.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. It's really great to hear that story. And I think a lot of people probably relate to that. Uh there is a sense that like you have to, you need some sort of training to be a poet as if we don't, you know, speak poetry (laughs) spontaneously out of our mouth holes all the time, you know? It's (laughs) like,
4: (laughs) and and I tell my students that, like, right? Like, you don't need to be a, you know, you don't need to be a a writer to be a writer, right? You don't need to, and I was like, I don't know. And they were, then finally a couple of friends were like, do you hear yourself right now? Like, you have this moment of like, you're, you said to me, Say to your students that you're a writer, if you're writing, so you're a writer, go write or not. I mean, it. you know, yeah. That you need some cred, but you know, I, I'm in academia and I love academia, warts at all, but there is that sort of sense that I think that's where the thing is coming from that like, Oh, I didn't, I don't have any degrees. I've taken exactly two mm-hmm. creative writing classes right in my whole life. Um, and one of them went very poorly.
0: But <laughs> well, so, tell me about that. Why did, why did one go poorly? Because I... Uh...
4: I don't want to name any names. Oh, yeah, without I was, naming names. But, yeah. but so I will say, it was, I was young. I didn't know anything about... Because I'd never really taken a real writing class, right? Other than, like, at the Y for two weeks or something, you know? But, like... So I didn't know that, like, you had to friggin' revise this stuff. Or that there were exercises or forms or... I mean, I knew like rhyme scheme and stuff, so it was this very lovely poet. But he—it was his last semester before retirement,
5: mm-hmm.
4: and he'd been a poetry professor for a thousand years. And he was delightful, but he was not here in any of your nineteen-year-old girl, adolescent anything.
5: Uh-huh.
4: Um, and he was very old school, like, and he gave us Randall Jarrell and Auden and the old, you know, an assignment. And I was just like, I can't do this every week. Like, I don't have anything to say about, say back to Randall Gerald, uh-huh. right, or audit that, or you know, I mean, we had a few women poets, but like not really, you know, and you had a weird assignment, so he would say things like, okay, write a poem that's ten lines, and five of these lines have to have eight, so, you know, this. and I was like, what am I doing? Like, I, and now I think I'd be great at it. Like, now I'm like, oh, this is awesome but I didn't know anything, so it didn't go very well. But I, he made us take it past, family. so I passed, I was fine. And I, I think I learned a few things in it, of course, but I, I was like, I can't, that is not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not. And they had phased out the creative writing major anyway. So like, I was like, good, I don't have to, cool. I don't have to sit through this again. I'm gonna go read my Jane Austen, you know, and 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 write about that. Like I can write about Yeats, mm-hmm. you know. I can write about Eliot, and and that's all
0: I want to do. <laughs> and yeah. so, so so um so so only taking the two two classes in poetry,
4: um was one was in poetry, one was in fiction.
0: Oh really? Okay. So, so then
4: I in an under, uh-huh. and then in college I took a fiction class as a one off. Uh, and I was studying abroad in Paris and you, I needed a class to fill my schedule. I'm like, I'll take a fiction class with an expat nobody's heard of. This is going to be great. And it was great. I loved it. Um, but I had no, I had some desire to continue and I learned like how to make a story. And then I was like, no, I'm going to be an English professor. I got to apply to grad school. So that was just not on my radar. Mm-hmm. um
0: but yeah anyway so so where would you say because i know a lot of people don't you know a lot of people i know even i think um just i'm thinking right now of nancy uh, miller gomez who's one of the best poets yeah. i know um but but it, there there seems to be a thing where like you need to take classes to get credibility and and if you don't have credibility or something then then you don't know so so where do you learn outside of classes um how to write poems like what how did you read How read you approach? yeah do you read well, so I think, books you know, or do you read, I read and i mean yeah. in
4: literature like i encountered all kinds like i had survey classes i've taught them right i've you know so i know like i have uh, it's sort of like i mean it's in there you get what a poem is and how you know by studying and by teaching it by by reading a lot so like i knew a lot more than i gave myself credit for
5: mm-hmm.
4: right like so you know, I learned how to scan and I learned how to hear the music of a line. And and so I think that was all in there. I just didn't know it. But then when I got serious, so I had, I don't know if you know the poet, um, Derek Horrell. He's um, at Old Miss and we went to school. Well, UWM, we graduated the same year and he's brilliant and lovely. And he was one of the ones I used to show that. Part. And he was like, this doesn't sound, uh, fix it. Oh my God. Um, but also like, no, you're the real deal. Keep at it. Read, just read. You get a packet of poems and send them out and read them and read. So I did. And so largely Derek, if you're listening, um, you were the one who said you should take this seriously, but if you're going to do that, then you got to read anything you can get your hands on stuff. You like stuff. You don't like go read journals. So I do, I mean, I get, I just finished, uh, Carmen and Menace Smith's uh, B Recorder mm-hmm. from 2019. I listen to podcasts now, so I and I am just reading a lot um, and going, "Oh, that's interesting. Oh, this is cool," or "Nope, don't like that." But isn't this a cool way to jam? That you know, I'm always just keeping them. Um, kind Plus, I I work with a woman, um, and I and I have other people read my stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like, they'll say no, or they'll be like, "You're doing that thing again." don't do that um yeah so i mean to really how to write i'm not sure i know how to write a poem i think it helps it it's that thing you were talking about before where you just sort of sit down and you're like i'm gonna see where this goes
0: uh-huh.
4: you know or sometimes i'll get the end like right now i working on one and i had a couple of lines and i thought they were the beginning but now i'm like no they're the end i gotta you know i learned tricks like i learned tricks to revise to Exercises, and sometimes I'll give myself an exercise. You know, say, "Right, cut ten words out of this poem and see what happens," Hmm. or, you know, write as a, a whatever. You know, if I, and some of them work, and some of them are dumpster fires. Right, like they're.
0: They're well, just there. That, that reminds me, you know, that the kind of sense of iteration and, and repeating and trying and seeing, you know, seeing what the heck sticks if you throw it against the wall. It reminds me, I was listening to some podcasts and they were describing um, how the Beatles worked toward the end when they were so creative. And it was just that they'd each sort of have to come in with one, like, riff or something, or one, like, line or melody or, or whatever, and then they just work together, mashing these four things together until they got a song out of it, and then they decided if they liked it or not. But they'd, like, half-force themselves to make songs out of nothing. Did you
4: watch Get Back?
0: It, that Definitely. might have been it. I don't know what... I can't remember where that came well, from. Well, watch but. it. Yeah. If you,
4: even if you don't love the Beatles, I'm obsessed. But if you... Even if you like them, watch it, because that's exactly what happens. Uh-huh. Like, they come in, and they... It'll we'll be like, or one will say, what about that line you had last week about this? It'll go here. Or what if we went, did, and it was like for someone who I was like, just sitting there like this for three hours. like,
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's cool.
4: It was so cool because it is craft. You know, I always said, now I started teaching in the the mid 2005 is when I started teaching. So that was when like, you could still kind of watch MTV mm-hmm. and VH1, right? When they, like uh-huh. when they had real music on there and, uh, I would say a revision is like a behind the music. Like what went into the making of this? Like think about all the little things that you went into, you know, to do it. And they were like, oh. But I can't use that metaphor anymore because nobody knows what that is.
0: That's funny. Yeah, I, like I, I
4: tried it a couple of years ago, and they were like, "A what? A VH1?" And They were like, "What is that?" <laughs> what I don't have cable, that? and I'm like, "Oh my god, I still have cable." Okay,
0: <laughs> that's funny. Well, we got to do more poems. It's just so fun talking. But let's do another oh, poem. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We got to keep. I want right. to do. Oh, well, that's
4: right. I don't know how many we are. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to do one that I I think it's my favorite one in the collection. Um, okay. and. I don't remember where this came from but it's still my favorite one it's called something like light it's on page 82 if you're following um your hands move through prayer, prayer like water and summer trees sparkling tessellations winking in the sky today is the day i attend mass and say amen without a heart the only church i've ever been to is the one with the broken birds and souls with light as blue and calm as day lost love at first sight There is nothing holy about a body beyond itself, a body shorn clean, of voice and of light, as if by a lion's tongue. You take my picture as I move into the shadows, so you can bury it with the bones of your memory, the dirt full of holes to hide all the things we hope our eyes reveal. In springtime, the first thing I do is scour the ground for crocus fingers, climbing sore and weary out of the earth. You ask me at the cusp of breathing, where will we go? Where will we go when the light hides away and the light is as red as strawberries and the slice of the summer sun quivering under the knife's cut, a final re- rendering? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I think this one is st- um It was not the same, but I, you know, um, Stephen's The Winter, The Snowman. And then he has, then of course, Taryn Hayes has. Lion for Wallace or snow snow for Wallace Stevens Uh and he's something about lions and light and it's gorgeous and I went if you ever if you never wrote another poem ever again and you wrote that
0: (laughs) you'd be great yeah Um, for sure so you mentioned this yeah, yeah. You mentioned this is a, one of your favorite poems in the book. Uh, what what is it? I'm always curious about, um, you know, what makes a poem someone's favorite poem. As a poet, it seems like it's very different. Like I was thinking it about, is... you know, when my first book came out, people would mention the, the the poems they liked the most, and they were not the poems that I liked the most. It's, no, such a and a people still
4: do it. They're like, the, and yeah, like the backyard in August. I like it, but I'm like, really? That's <laughs> what about this one. Uh-huh. This one's weirder. Um, I think I like it because. Well, I think I just like it, Um, but I think I like it because I was at the time trying to like have these sort of starker lines that are not. I'm a wordy poet and I'm never not going to be, but I sometimes can get a really nice, clean line where I'm doing something with metaphor, but I'm not opening up the metaphor so that, okay, the whole poem goes there, but I'm opening it enough so you can twist and then I shift, but it all kind of comes together. Mm -hmm. Is a way that I think about it where you sort of just get like dreams, you know, you sort of just get this blip of something and then something else happens. And the next thing, you know, you're, you know, making cotton candy at the zoo or something (laughs) with your now wife, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. And and I don't think that poem is particularly dreamlike, but I also think, you know, it was a moment. And I think the craft for me, um, and other people have liked it too, so that's not one that's totally like,
0: mm-hmm.
4: okay, I love this one and nobody else does, but it's not uh, everyone's favorite, I guess. I don't know. <laughs>
0: well, that's interesting. Um, well, let's hear. I do want to keep the poems rolling. Let's hear another one, and then I want to talk about revising because you've talked about revising a lot. So let's 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 read another one.
4: All right. So the last poem in the book is called. I think it's the last poem. Yeah, it's the last poem in my own. I ought to know my own book, but should. It's called Walking Without You for the First Time, and this wakes up on the grief that we've been kind of talking about. My shadow pops me up in all this light, light that used to taste like butter in our mouths, or that often hid behind us in a game of chase. Once, we ran after a dog we thought was lost, traipsing through soggy grass for nearly half a mile, yelling and calling in the wind, only to find the owner hidden just around the corner, letting the dog run. We laughed, kept going, we always kept going, as if the world were a machine, powered by the crooked leans of our bodies and the stamp of our feet along the path, Drowned blue hem of sky racing along with us, bees and birds thrilling to open air, wind like a huge white sail with open arms and fall. It's all still whirring along. The ocean's still at it, folding and unfolding. Dogs still bark, catch frisbees in their mouths in the early parts of dusk tucked in the golden glow of their evening houses people still eat dinner scrape plates into sinks the wind still shudders through trees leaves flirt this way and that until it's time to loosen and fall doing so gracefully
0: and i was walking without you for the first time uh, from the Weather Gods by Sarah Ellinger, the book that we're focusing on today. Um, and, and I did. You mentioned revision a lot, how revision, the idea of revising sort of turned you off of poetry for a while, for, for 10 years or more. I'm mean, at first, and that's so. So, and, and that's one of the things that I, I do a critique show every Friday. I watched I, it a couple weeks ago. It was great. Well, thanks for saying that. But but the problem with for me with it is I actually don't revise, so I don't know what to really do. I've never really revised. Like, you one of those. I, I am one of those annoying poets, and, and so I like you know I'll fix a typo. I'll get like like comma doesn't feel right, and I like make it a dash. Then I'll be like, oh, the comma was right, and I'll put it back. Or like a word will be wrong. And I'll f- try to find a Well, that's a what – uh, you're in good company uh-huh. because
4: I think Marie Howe says that and uh, Linda Gregg said, I get them all at once. And she says – w- the she said in an interview once, she said the m- j- most drastic thing I ever did was I will read it and go, oh, okay, the poem really starts here four lines in and that's it. And, that's and I
0: was like <laughs> – what yeah, kind of witchcraft? Exactly. Well, that's, how, like, that's witchcraft. how it feels to me. It's like, I mean, sometimes it'll work. But I feel, <laughs> I guess the problem for me is that I feel like once I leave a poem, I can't enter it again. Like, it's yeah. like you can't step in the same river twice. Like, I'm a different human being, and so it doesn't work or something. I don't know. It just feels. I
4: love that, though. Like, I will walk back my like. Is that because you, and even if you do, you're not the same person, right? Like, you're not, you have a clearer, you know, mm-hmm. sense of it. But you can't recharm. It doesn't recharm you.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so how do you how way. do you approach revision with that in mind? And, and... Well,
4: I mean, I am not that. Uh-huh. So I got to work with what I got, right? Uh, my mother and I are nothing if not resourceful people. <laughs> um, but I mean, sometimes I will get one start to finish, and I go, "Okay, yeah, let's," you know, move the comma. Oh my God, I spelled that wrong, and then it's good. So I, I know what that feels like. It's great. Um, <laughs> I revise in a lot of different ways. Again, I have readers and I'll go, is this anything? Um, And sometimes I'll know, like, certain readers that they're going to go, oh, he's going to point to that. Or I'll say, like, the other day I sent something to a friend and I said, I know there's something wrong with this book, but I don't know what it is. So, like, tell me. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're not, you know. Um, Or sometimes I'll say, the ending sucks. How do I connect the dots so i'll do that or i'll give it to other people i'll you know sometimes i sit on it or i'll write it again like i keep so i you know i'm not i'm not always witchcrafty um so it really depends on the day on the poem how much how many how much time i have mm-hmm. um does somebody want it um like you've got to finish the revisions on this book because tomorrow we're sending them you know <laughs> yeah. stuff like that
5: and uh-huh. I'm
4: like I won't fix it. Um, some I, changes I refuse to make um, because I like them. Um, but I am, you know, I am a pretty heavy reviser because I, I, sometimes I have to be. I think it's just, however you keep coming back to it. I do like. I agree that I'm never recharmed, but I sometimes I am pulled pulled back to it. Like, what if I thought about that metaphor again?
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Or is that really the metaphor? You know, like you'll think about. Well, you don't, but other people will think about these things. Like, does this work? You know, Um, like I said before, I think it's the, 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 this bomb has to, the last lights have to be the end. And then it's a nice last line. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I have a friend who says they just have to, you can't, I didn't want to cut anything or I would cut things and I would be, but I just try to make them work. And they're like, no. They're like foster children. Just go live in a different house. <laughs> like, it's okay. They're not bad children. They're uh-huh. not bad lines. They just don't work in this family. Let's go find them another family. And so I don't throw anything out.
5: Uh-huh.
4: Well, I do the really bad ones that I know are like, all right, this, right. I might do something like like you do. And I go, all right, that, I did that. That sucked. Like, <laughs> and I'll just leave uh-huh. that. But I don't throw like, graphs
0: out are there any poems in the book uh that you remember you know how the revision went is there something that you could like share and talk about how different it might have been originally that, that comes to mind
4: well i mean they all i wouldn't say heavy revised it varies um trying to think some of them just got new titles mm-hmm. so that was you know that's not a heavy revision um some of them you know some of them had a couple of the editor recommended edits and so i was like yes yes no this one you know things like that so there were some I'm trying to think of like any that i did like 18 drafts or something um and now i'm looking at like three poems in a row that i remember writing in one sitting so i just said i don't do that and then literally like three <laughs> it comes poems. in all um, kinds
0: of ways i guess
4: <laughs> yeah um it's hard because there's another one um it's hard because i wrote this so long ago yeah um that I can't, oh, I think, um, yes, I have one. And I was actually going to read it. So maybe I'll read it. Can I read it? Do we yeah, have time that, for that'd reading? be
0: perfect. Yeah, there's time for a, oh. another poem or two even maybe.
4: Okay, I'll read it. And then I'll talk about it. It's, uh, where'd it go? I just passed it. It's called Ex Nilo.
0: I had 29.
4: 29, thank you. Yeah, I passed it. It's called Ex nihilo. Okay. We say nothing comes from nothing. Only God creates something out of nothing. Metaphor. What we'll say when we want something to be what it isn't. to stretch to meet our expectations. A field of corn to say, I love you. A knock-kneed stance to say, I need saving. A God to say, I'd like to keep on living. The silent, quiet O in our throats as we call out to each other. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What we've called corn we've from stalks, smell the sweet earth at bronze necks. We'll say we've reaped what we've sown, all those sun hours hunched earthwork. And we'll say we believe in God and a whole world beyond. Isn't that why we're here, the whole mess of vegetables waiting in the cellar? Nothing until something, and then another thing entirely.
0: Yeah, great so idea on that one. Yeah, that was ex nihilo. And so how ex how nihilo. is that different? Yeah.
4: Well, it was like, there was a lot more in it. Uh-huh. And like on the page, you know, I've got either couplets or single lines. That that wasn't there. I think I had a, like, a, it started with the what we've called corn. You know, I mean, it was really, I was trying to go in a totally different direction, kind of thinking about, I think actually some of the language got put into a couple of other poems in here. Mm-hmm. As they floated around, it was really about harvesting and something else, and then I said, no, I think I want to, you know, with some revisions, I mean, there was really, a, um, it was about, like, semantics, and there was, like, it was, like, a lot longer, so it was, like, three poems, you Man. know, and that, because I was, like, trying to do something, and, you know, all the and then when I just finally pared it down, I was, like, all right, what is, like, the thing that is really this poem, okay, I can use this line, this line, then I kind of moved them around a lot. And then it took a shape. And then it was like the Maria. And then, uh, then I was like, oh, couple, okay, couples and single, done. And then it was done. And then I didn't look at it ever again, like mm-hmm. until it came in here. So then, you know, it took like weeks. And then I was like, nobody touch it. <laughs> Don't blink at it. Right? Because you're like, it's, if I look at it one more time, I'm going to change it and it works. <laughs> Another one, it's actually in the book that. I just finished. That's going to be out next year. Another poem like that I was writing about. So I have a friend who's a farmer and he had texted me and he says, I got these watermelons and they're called heirloom. He likes to grow heirloom stuff and they're called moon and stars. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's a whole, I mean, that's a book of poetry right there. And I was trying to work these stupid watermelons into like eight poems. And I had so many revisions and I, finally somebody said, "Well, you just go look up how to grow watermelons? Like just, Google it. So I was like, okay, googly, googly. And it was literally like four lines in of whatever website they like this. They like that. And I was like, oh, I can do this in pro. And it was kind of like, I wrote sentences, like how to grow watermelons one, you know, like Mm -hmm. that. And the poem came and then I sort of shaped it. And I said, I think it's done. And they said, you have been working on this for three months. And I was like, pros and Google. Like how to grow water. And it's not called how to grow water. But like, it's literally like, Oh, okay. I did it. I, if I just broke what I was doing, like I'm not writing a poem, I'm researching watermelons. Then I wrote a poem.
0: Yeah. And that's another point. I mean, like, I mean, so many poems for me, I will, you know, have an idea or an image or something. And I'll look up how to, how, you know, mining is done or how, right. you know, and then later, and that, that becomes like the fuel for the, the poem. And, and, and so, to go back to that ai discussion i mean it it, is wikipedia a kind of tool that you're using that's stealing you know it's it's not something that i already knew that i'm writing about but it's something where i I learn about in the process of writing a poem and then well and
4: also like you know i'll see as you read you know you read well you read literally hundreds of thousands of poems but like you read them and you think oh that's a lovely turn of phrase even if the poem doesn't work you kind of it some, might create its own version into your own work, right? Like, in is that, and nobody would say, I mean, if they're different enough, nobody would be like, well, she plagiarized that from, yeah. you know, so, right? Because, I mean, that's, so, I don't know, could I, yeah, I don't it wasn't even Wikipedia, it was like mm-hmm. some, I don't even remember, well, I should save the site, but it was like, Watermelon's like, you know, and it was very, like, To plant a watermelon, make sure you have these. It was so prosaic. And I was like, Yeah, this is interesting. I am researching how to grow watermelons in your backyard. Like, as if that's normal. I also will text my friends sometimes. They're like, Sometimes you text me the weirdest stuff. Like, I'll be like, What is the word for this? Or, So, you know that thing on the silo? Like, I'll ask these questions. Mm -hmm. Like, I saw this. And they'll be like, It's called this. I'm like, Thank you. That's all I need. Cool. You know, you're researching mining for God's sake. Yeah, like why would you ever do that?
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just funny the way, you know, the way the way everything works. Um
4: I saw a poet, I don't know if you know Erica Meitner, but she posted like on her Insta feed something about today I researched like I guess there's this line about when you plant corn. Like there's the way, and where the road has to go, she's like, "There's a word for this thing." I was like, "I don't know what that is." So she's like, "This is what I, this is what I did today." So yeah, you find yourself down this rabbit hole.
0: Yeah, and and the etymologies too. I mean, even in you know verse itself is, um, you know, verse means that that turn you make a farmer makes. (laughs) Turning around to, to do planning yep. different rows. That's the verse. So I love the diving into the etymology of things to give you oh, ideas. Oh, well, I have an etymological dictionary. Oh yeah. Yeah. I use the one online, but yeah.
4: I mean, and this is like I you I could just read it because it's so interesting. Like if you just look up something, it's so interesting. Or it like is, I had
5: really
4: you know the poetic terms where they come from. Yeah, verse comes from that. And they're good. So it's yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating
0: yeah well we're about out of time do you want to read one last poem to close out the I will
4: show? read one last one and I will read the one that I sent you the newest one from Minion let me find it if I have a sec
0: okay yeah um, yeah no problem it's from Minion I have it up here um, poem with husband and turtle so whenever you're ready we'll, we'll we'll go for it
4: all right and okay here it is poem with husband and turtle okay my husband told me he helped a turtle cross the road this morning. I asked, Are you supposed to do that? Because the world is often in need of explanation. Sometimes we need permission for kindness. Tika no lam is a funny thing. Sometimes repairing the world is a need so ocean like we can't get around it. Sometimes it feels monstrous and holy, and other times I don't even know who or what it is or how it holds itself along my body. Sometimes it is invisible, often small and insignificant, like the scent of a fresh peach. Other times it is unwieldy and unyielding, unexplainable, but pulsing with the blood of its own existence, just entirely wholly there. Shouldn't we let things that are wholly what they are be what they are? He replies, it could have been killed by a car, so I carried it across in the direction it was going and waited for it. What happened then? I asked. It waited for me to get out of the way, and then kept going.
0: Oh, that's great! Yeah, I love that that ending to poem with husband and turtle, and that's from uh, minionmag dot com. So if anyone wants to look that up, there's four or three more poems by Sarah there as well. Um, Yeah, that reminds me of the time we had a tarantula crossing the road. And up here, and like and those big furry the spiders, big furry ones, yeah. And, and I thought they were, you know, we're up in the mountains, but the desert's right down there. And it was sort of heading toward the desert. And so, me and the kids didn't know what to do. We were trying to like stop the cars, like don't run over the thing. And we tried to like encourage it, but then I got scared and froze. And um and so eventually, you know, we I, I didn't have the courage to pick it up. So eventually we just yeah, kind of my like,
4: husband said he literally he saw the same thing yeah. he was like, I gotta pick this thing up. And I was like,
0: Shh. Yeah, a turtle I would have, maybe not a snapping turtle, but a turtle, but not a but not I don't know, I'm not one of the not a spider handlers. No. But uh, but I, I we helped it. We helped it not die. So there's that. But cut no lob. You prepared the world
4: like you saved a tarantula.
0: <laughs> yeah. You saved a spider. Yeah, definitely. Excellent.
4: <laughs> um so did those yeah. come by often?
0: Uh, it's the only time we've seen one up here. Okay. They're, they're Cause like if I go to
4: California, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like see clouds of tarantulas. No, okay, I've
0: been cool. here. I've been here. I've been here 12 years. We've seen uh three rattlesnakes and one tarantula, one scorpion. Those are the three. They're the five. All right,
4: I can handle that. <laughs>
0: okay. It's not that bad. Not that bad. But anyway, before you go, tell us about the new book. Cause you mentioned you have a manuscript finished. Uh, what's up next. And, and is there any kind of sense of, of, you know, when it might come out?
4: So I actually just recently found out, um, my manuscript it's a retelling of persephone and demeter and it's got some jewish the poems you accepted from rattler in there um some other things is going to be out through um, a university press in wisconsin's uh u.w Stevens point It's called cornerstone and uh, it'll be out in april 2024 oh excellent. so i'm really excited um and next i'm just you know keep it out and i'm writing stuff i have a little inkling of a project but i'm not ready to i don't know if it's going to be that Yet. So, but I'm still at it. I'm still, you know, I said I would never write. Every time I finish anything, I'm like, I'm never writing another book ever again. (laughs) Uh, And my friends go, in two weeks, I'm saving the text and they send them to me. They'll say, You said this two weeks ago. When I go, Okay, so I wrote this, is this, this is good. And they're like, Oh my God. And the other one, another friend will say, You say this every single time, say, I'm never writing another book ever again. And literally 24 hours later, Say, so I wrote four poems today. (laughs) And I go, well, I don't have a project. And they're like, "Mm, tomorrow or three weeks. And I go, okay, now I have a project. Uh So uh, who knows, Tim? I might, if you have me back next year, I'll promote that one. And you might say, so I got two more projects. Or I might say, that's it.
0: Um, (laughs) Well, we're glad you're still writing. Uh, Thanks so much, Sarah, for being a guest today. It's been great talking to you and sharing. This has been so
4: much fun.
7: Yeah,
0: it's always so much fun. Um, Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. Yep. Have a good Bye. night. Yep. That was Sarah Etlinger with uh, uh, The Weather Gods, her newest book from Barclay, uh, and uh, you know another book or another poem from uh, What's Forthcoming. Um, and we're going to move on to our open lines. So before, so don't go anywhere. The open lines is coming up. I forgot to say, I always want to say at the top of the show that we have open lines, and I keep forgetting to do it then. But uh, I'm going to do that from now on. I promise. But, uh, but we have open lines. You can share any poems you would like. I'm going to share the Zoom link in just a second. Let me put this up on the screen so you can uh, see how it works if you're new to all of this. Uh, here's the open mic details. Email your poem first to open mic. That's open mic at rattle.com. That way we can show the poem on screen as you read it for everybody watching at home um, on YouTube and all of that, just like you were seeing with Sarah and the other guests already today. Um, email it to open mic, open mic at rattle.com first because it takes a while sometimes to get through the interwebs. All those tubes get interwoven, and it's difficult sometimes. But first, do that. Then I'm going to share the link to the Zoom we've been on on the chat windows on both Facebook and YouTube. So join me there only if you'd like to share a poem. If you just want to listen, sit tight, where you are, and you can listen and experience poems the best way where you can read along with them. But if you'd like to share a poem, it can be a a, a current events poem, it can be a prompt poem, It can be a poem that you published recently, and you can share the link so we can show off the journal as well. Um, Anything you'd like to share, probably one poem each, but feel free to do so by joining this Zoom link right here. And I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be right back with The Open Lines. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. Uh, Like I said, the open lines is up. The prompt for this week was to write a poem in reply to someone else's poem. And if you'd like to share the poem, if it's short that you're applying to, feel free to. This was one of those days where I wrote a poem in 10 minutes, literally before the show. It was a beautiful day outside for the first time in a long time. It was so sunny and warm that we went on a hike with the kids. And, um, you know, it was like sweaty. It was so nice. So we wanted to go on a long one. And then I came back so late that I barely had any time to write one. So I pulled out a book from the shelf open to a random page. And I happened to be James Longenbach's threshold. He was my poetry professor at the University of Rochester who died recently, um, last summer. And I opened to the poem Yardwork, um, which I'm not sure if I can find it really quickly. I don't think I'll read it, um... Well, maybe I, maybe I should read it. Where is it? If I can find it really quickly, it's not that long. Oh, there it was. So this is the James Longenbach poem, yard work that I was replying to. Let me put this up pretty quick. Why not? Let's just do it. So this is yard work by James Longenbach. Is that going to work? Yeah, that's going to work. Okay, long yard work. It must be human what we lose that we that never can be found again. A soul, but it's only here stem turned down the hose a listless trickle at my feet That i imagine any meaning for the word thinking of a wilderness of stone in paris where a woman lights a candle places it among a hundred other flames and watches stars of wax congealing on the floor i could see there was nothing for her not the stone the candle or the flame no arms that held her cradling her body like a child's nothing that could bring it back no matter what she could believe no matter how each spring would come to haunt her dormant roots, these tubers sending up a single flag as if to test the atmosphere, the shallow light that coaxes and deceives, all clear, all clear. That was yard work from James Longenbach's book Threshold, um, which came out around 2000. Um, and here's my short poem in reply to that. I was thinking about, you know, the fact that I did. I, th- I mean, I did. Uh, was doing yard work. The day he I heard that he died, which was actually a few days after his death, I think he died uh july twenty sixth I looked it up and it would have been like a couple days later when I actually heard about it. This is yard work after James Longenbach. So here we go with this yard work, as if the scrape of the rake and milkweed could scratch the itch of the earth. I stood on my small plot of land, overturning rocks, the largest hurled toward the fence and piled for the footpath. I'll never finish. All the leaves were last year's leaves, all the pine needles caked with the season's dust. Stuffing bags, it all hung in the evening light, everywhere and then gone. At the center of the yard, the black oak was full of next year's hassle. Those who dare would call it hope. So that is my 13-line sonnet, a sonnet minus one yard work after James Longenbach. So if you have any poems like that that you would like to share feel free if they're short to share the poem that inspired them If they're long just describe the poem and, and say the title but um if you have else to share feel free to do so we'll just go in the order of people on the line and Carla Schwartz is up first hey Carla how are you doing tonight
8: I'm doing well Tim it's been a great night uh so far yeah I enjoyed- yeah it,
0: it always is even when we didn't have a guest it was a nice night last
8: week <laughs> exactly. so um
0: yeah so what do you have to share with us
8: so I have um a golden shovel that oh. I wrote in response because I was just reading this novel which was called Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead.
5: Yeah, that's, that's a title.
8: <laughs> Olga Tokarczuk. She's uh, Polish and um and this in the in this book they're trying to translate Blake, William Blake. Into um, Polish throughout the book. And so, (laughs) and so, and in William Blake's Proverbs from Hell, which you could find on poetry.org or whatever, um, uh, there is the line, which is the title of this poem, which is Drive your cart and your plow over the bones of the dead. So that is his line. Now my line my title, and, um, and I use that as a golden shovel. Excellent. So here you go.
0: And for the people who don't know at home, I should just say the golden shovel, you take the last, the last word of each line is the line that you're, you're sort of honoring, I guess you could say. So, so drive your cart in your plow over the bones of the dead. Each of those words is the last line or the last word of each line in the poem, so you can read it down at the end. Anyway, it's right. a newish form, okay. so some people might not know. But, no, uh,
8: thank you. Thank yeah. you for elucidating that. Drive your cart and your plow over the bones of the dead. Without your car, you need willpower to drive. Willpower and capacity. your car, always ready to cart you your precious belongings, and your go-anywhere necessities, your harmonicas in any key you play to the traffic as you plow under your wicked thoughts and over all those past regrets, the times you didn't think you had breakable bones, the times you didn't know what you were running out of time, precious time, that one day, the t- the one, that one day the time would slip You'd arrive home to find a brother dead
0: A very touching poem, uh, Carla And then and also just, I love the rhythm of that Great, great music in it um, Oh, yeah.
8: th- thank you yeah, Thank you so much that. I'm looking forward to hearing everybody else
0: Yeah, definitely, me too Thanks for sharing that, Carla That was uh, Drive Your Cart and Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead um, And it was Golden Shovel Inspired by the title of a novel by Olga Takorsuk um, which comes from William Blake's Proverbs from Hell. Yeah, very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I don't think I've ever written a golden shovel, actually, so I think I, maybe I should try sometime. Maybe we should do a golden shovel prompt someday, but not today. We already have one lined up. Anyway, let's go to Sharon Ferrante next. Hi, Tim. Hey, Sharon. How are you doing tonight?
7: Okay. Hi, everybody. Um. Oh, I love the show. Sarah was so much fun and brilliant. I love it.
0: Oh, yeah, she was. It's so fun to talk Thank to. you
7: so much. Thank you both so much. Yeah, I loved it. I did a prompt poem. Uh huh. Um, it's really short. Um, reply to Wendy Vidalock.
0: Oh, yeah, we love Wendy here. She was on Rattlecast. Um, I don't know which one. About maybe a year ago or a year two years ago. Yeah. It's hard to remember. It was in the spring. <laughs> I remember that.
7: I love her. I I got her book and. Um, I tried a Mike White one because, you know, I love short poems, mm-hmm. but I, I that didn't work. Yeah. So then I did the um, um, Wendy Vidalock, We Postmodern. Uh,
5: mm-hmm.
7: We previously featured the time, what's unseen and a poet's head below a guillotine, no matter the century. Or how a bell rings. We fear a broken tooth chewing on the monster things.
0: Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised you're a fan of Wendy Vidalot because you have the same, a similar style and that brevity and wit about it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Sharon.
7: I said, I hope I can. Well, I'm definitely not, not going to rhyme as well as her, but <laughs> the poem is fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wendy's great. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing <laughs> that. And and you are great too, Sharon. Thanks.
7: Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Good
0: night. That's uh, Sharon Ferrante with um, a reply to Wendy Vidalock. That was we previously. Uh, let's go to Nate Jacob next. Hey, hey. Hey Nate, how you doing? Is the beard getting longer? Are you like never trimming it? It feels like it's longer than it t- it's ever been.
2: <laughs> they do tend to grow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, I've I've been growing this now for 8 years. Really? Uh, and without ever cutting it. No, no, I'll trim it up and down okay. and inch it there, but uh uh-huh. It's pretty much the most interesting thing about me. <laughs> that,
0: that I find hard to believe. Um, well, so so we'll what see. is it that you, uh, what, what did you do for uh, your poem today?
2: I've got a uh, prompt poem based on a, a uh, poem by Ted Kooser.
0: Ah, and you got the Ted Kooser poem here. It's not long. Do you want to read them both?
2: Yeah, I'll be happy to. It's called yeah. Selecting a Reader. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up in Nebraska, so Koozer's kind of a, uh, a hometowner for me. All right, selecting a reader. First, I would have her be beautiful and walking carefully up on my poetry at the loneliest moment of an afternoon, her hair still damp at the neck from washing it. She would be wearing a raincoat, an old one, dirty from not having enough money enough for the cleaners. She will take out her glasses and there in the bookstore, she will thumb over my poems, then put the book back up on its shelf. She will say to herself, for that kind of money, I can get my raincoat cleaned, and she will.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. I think, is that from Delights and Shadows, I think? Uh,
2: I've, I've got it from his new and collected. I'm not uh-huh. I'm not too sure. but But, uh, yeah, I wish I could read Coozer the way Coozer reads Coozer.
0: Yeah, 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 I wish I could have him on. He's just getting up there in age, even though yes. we still chat with him sometimes over email. Um, and so your response is, my dearest reader. Uh, my dear. Yeah, but before you say, how, so why did you pick that poem to reply to?
2: Um, I, I'm in, aii am not able to write right now.
0: <laughs> oh no. So,
2: so, well, my wife was out of town for 10 days and, uh, I, I spent a lot of time with the kids and they, they're a good drain on energy. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, and yet, how many do you have?
2: I have six kids. Yeah.
0: that Yeah. That'd be a good drain.
2: <laughs> it, it's a, uh, it's constant. Uh-huh. So when she's not going to spell me, it, uh, it takes up all my time, but yeah. she's home now. I'm able to write again. Uh, this was a good prompt, though, for this week. It gave me a chance to uh, think about writing itself and write about writing. Excellent. Well, let's hear it. All right. My dearest reader, after reading Ted Kooser Selecting a Reader, don't feel badly when at last I tell you how it is that you were never meant to love this poetry that pours out of me when I explain to you that somewhere else is a person who will cry when I cried will laugh when I cried as well, because frankly, at the very base of everything I write is this simple truth. This is all laughable. And when you and they laugh, these poems finally sense that their work here is done. And we can all finally, and with a sense of perfect satisfaction, go back to what we were doing before we were distracted.
0: <laughs> That's great. Perfect response. Uh, as my dearest reader. Thanks, Nate. Always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yep. Take care. It was Jacob's with uh, my dearest reader. Let's go to a, we have a first time caller here. I want to make sure we get to uh first time callers. Emily DiFerrari is here. I think Emily's a first time caller. Uh, I am a second time. A caller. Second time caller. Okay, great. Well, uh, when was the last time you were on? Mm,
9: maybe about four or five weeks ago. It ah, was a okay. mm-hmm. about a color.
0: Ah, okay. Color, well, huh? glad to have you back. So what do you have you'd yeah. like to share tonight?
9: Um, this is kind of, um, on the prompt, it's a response to an Avery Young poem called Her Ain't Even at the Funeral. Hmm. Um, and I don't have it, so I can't read it. Yeah. Well, what can you tell us about it? Like, why did you choose it? Well, I didn't really choose the poem. I just chose the title to uh-huh. respond to. And the fact that it wasn't written in straight English, it was written in with a strong accent. Mm -hmm. And so my poem is written with a Western Pennsylvania accent. Excellent.
0: Yeah. I love Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. Oh, so
5: do I.
9: Good. (laughs) Okay. Let's hear it. All right. It's called Forgivens. Buddy's trucks down a run, sitting in a mud. Buddy's a big, I'm sorry. Buddy's a big muck of a man. Never followed a thought or two less they was his own. He shoots dough down on his place, butchers them in the yard also known to pick one off a road if it were killed fresh. Mandy was lying half dead on that old mattress of hers due to the chimney backing up on them freezing days. Buddy won't say why he knowed to go in there and drag her body out to a truck, run her up over Snake Hill to the clinic where they sent her into town and changed up all her blood and saved her life. Maybe that new blood running through her heart freshed it up a bit, because she stopped talking shit on Buddy, but she still ain't going to eat none of his deer meat.
0: Oh, that is great. I love that that accent. And, uh, yeah, wonderful poem. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that, Emily. How long have you lived in, in western Pennsylvania?
9: 70 years. Ah,
0: yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> I just love it. Every time I drive through, because I'm from western New York, so, you know, we drive down to get to anywhere. Yeah. And uh, I always think, yeah, those rolling hills and the all the little towns and the nooks and crannies, I love it there.
9: And i wrote this driving in the car too so oh, that
0: perfect yeah perfect tie-in for sarah <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, great well, show tonight. yeah thanks so much emily for being here and sharing that okay thanks yep, take care excellent that was emily uh ferrari with uh with uh what was it called Forgivens. yeah very cool let's go next to dick westheimer hey Tim. hello dick how are you doing tonight
10: Great. I'm a little exhausted from the uh from the interview this evening.
0: <laughs> a really, little bit of energy,
10: huh? <laughs> and I love the prompt poems. Uh the not the prompt poems, the uh um Poets Respond poems. Yeah, yeah, uh, two good
0: ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really great.
10: Oh, decisions, decisions. I actually wrote a rhyming sonnet for Poets Respond, oh. but I think I'll do my prompt poem because I did it uh Tim Green style and uh-huh. just dashed it off I've not read it yet I've not even read it out loud Yeah, the thing
0: is you'll probably see typos that's what I found doing the 10 minute poem before the show although this one I don't think I had one this week which is a a pleasant surprise
10: Um, so yeah so this one I I was on uh, Jimmy Pappas has a Monday evening thing that I try to catch a little bit of before Rattlecast Mm -hmm. and he was committed to uh, stories about Charles Simic and reading some of his poems so he read one and I about halfway through the program, and it stuck. And I was like writing notes off on the oh, side. Great. Five minutes between the things, finish the poem, and uh-huh. send it to you.
0: Yeah, great. Well, why don't you, it's a, you know, Simic doesn't write long poems. Why don't you read the Simic first?
10: Okay, sure. Uh, County Fair, Charles Simic. If you didn't see the six-legged dog, it doesn't matter. We did. And he mostly lay in the corner. As for the extra legs, one got used... To, uh, you One got used to them quickly and thought of other things like what a cold, dark night to be out at the fair. Then the keeper threw a stick and the dog went after it on four legs, the other two flapping behind, which made one girl shriek with laughter. She was drunk and so was the man who kept kissing her neck. The dog got the stick and looked back at us. And that was the whole show.
0: Oh, that's a great poem. I hadn't heard that one myself. County Fair by Charles. Yeah,
10: it's sort of haunting. Uh, yeah, and it really is. Yeah, painting. You know, I couldn't do his thing of just like having these lines sitting in there, painting an image that mm-hmm. sticks with you, but is in some respects separate from the syntax of the poem.
0: Yeah, that's what he's great at. Like that may be the one defining characteristic of his writing is that he can do that. But I tried
10: to write it short. That was that was my homage, and I titled it County Fair. And it brought up one of those memories. You know, those uh, dug into the subconscious. County Fair after Charles Simic, we really did pay to see the lobster family, the girl with fused fingers, her parents with digits glued together. To be clear, we'd just escaped the stuck Ferris wheel the carny off smoking pot, us captive on top with our two-year-old trying to slip from our grip. Drunk with relief, we drifted down the midway, the barker in his frayed top hat, the dark cave of the tattered tent, relief from the clamor and flash of the fair, the demo derby and hawkers and giant prizes in the arms of lipsticked teens. And there inside, we couldn't look long at what we'd paid for, the lobster girl, seeing us as the freaks we were.
0: Mm, yeah, great poem, The Lobster Girl, the whole lobster family. Very interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Dick. Yeah, really writing them off really quick. I think it works <laughs> without revising it. You know, you get them no, rolling and then they roll on, out sometimes.
10: It still haunts us that we paid to see this
0: freak yeah. show. Mm-hmm. And,
10: and it's 40, 40 years ago. So oh, wow. The, yeah. These bad decisions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely stick with you. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that, Dick. It was a great great poem and interesting memory to, to bring up. And, and great Charles Simic poem, too.
10: Well, thanks, Tim.
0: Yep. Bye-bye. Take care. That's Dick Westheimer with uh, Count or, uh, Country Fair. Um, not County Fair, Country Fair. Let's go to uh, Mike Bales next. Um. Oh, good evening. Yeah, hey, Mike. How
6: you doing? Pretty good. Managed back. I went out for dinner, but I... I caught the end of the interview. Ah, great. I, if I miss some, I just kind of go back someday and I'll you know, kind of replay it. Some of, these, some of the poets you have are worth listening to again and again.
0: For sure. See? Yeah. And that's a great thing. I mean, you know, these are archived online forever. Now we have 182 episodes, 181 poets uh, to, I... to share uh, poems with. And, I don't. Uh, have they'll that always much be time. there. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It takes you couldn't catch up if you wanted to. It's to the point where I would need a whole separate like hard drive if I were storing them locally. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, so what do you have? To, do you like to share? Uh, I want to do the poets
6: respond thing on mm-hmm. the spot. I Xed out the last stanza. Uh-huh. I have a little bit of a thing sometimes about prairies being restored. Uh, I went, a year ago. I sent you a poem where the. Nebraska prairies uh, Kansas prairies are being threatened by a new kind of of species of grass Mm -hmm. prairie is kind of a little bit of a thing for me it's called song for prairie restored and I'll do it with the uh, the last stanza here okay yeah song for prairie restored take me to the place where tall grasses rise from fertile ground take me to the place where they sing a sweet song in the wind as it sweeps the land whisper to me as they sing a song without words be with me as flower wild flowers open their eyes when touched by the sun i'll call it love this gentle song in a place where the sky begins and dreams linger i'll call it love as tall grasses sway and dance and i'll lose myself in a place where monarchs lead into morning skies painted gold
0: oh excellent yeah that was a beautiful poem and uh I definitely hear that there's the invasive species. There are several problems of invasive species going on. The wildfires have a have a big impact on that. Um, it's
6: supposed to, if they're done right, they're supposed to restore grounds, but this is about a Talk of Iowa program and Iowa Public Radio. They have some programs I just love, and some lady was donating a farmland to triple the size of this wild grass preserve that's... I'll go, that's kind of between here and Cedar Falls, mm-hmm. you know, probably a little bit north of Cedar Rapids. Yeah. And it, it was about, is in response to that uh, Talk of Iowa program.
0: Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Mike. Definitely important poem. Okay. Conservation is a big deal, and uh, we're glad to share that. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Have a good night. It's Mike Bales with uh, Song for the Prairie Restored. Let's go to, I think I may be a second time caller, but Steven Smith is here. I think, has Stephen been on before? Have you been on before, Steven? I've not been on before. Ah, uh, okay. I've been First... on Critique of the Week. Ah, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay, well, thanks uh, for joining us. What do you have to share tonight?
11: This was actually on a lightning round of Critique of the Week. Ah. And okay. the, the note was the last line wasn't working. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So this past weekend, I tried working on it, and the poem doubled in length.
0: So I don't know if it's better, but it's longer. (laughs) Okay. Well, this is Janie is beautiful, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's hear it.
11: Janie is beautiful. It's a shame she doesn't know it because she was raised by wolves who teased her about her short snout, sense of fashion, and awkward posture running on all fours. But she is beautiful. I tell her so. Present her with my naked throat. Anticipate an embrace her nails ripping through my sweater, her teeth meeting my jugular a spurt of my blood rushing down her chin. Feral eyes gaze beyond me, and with not so much as a howl, she vanishes among the wilderness. A chill from the wind climbs my neck, so I zip up my hoodie and take the short path home. She wasn't that pretty anyway.
0: Oh, very interesting. So yeah, I definitely remember that from the critique of Janie is Beautiful. That was a critique of the week a few weeks ago. And uh, yeah, excellent work. Thanks so much for sharing that, Stephen. It's really cool Thank to you. see revisions, Have and especially as we talked about revisions so much uh, with Sarah. Yeah, really cool to see. Thanks for joining and sharing that. Thanks. Yeah, take care. Yeah, there was Stephen Smith with Janie is beautiful. Let's go to uh, Brian O'Sullivan next. Hello. Hey, Brian. How are you doing tonight? Hey.
12: Really good. I've been enjoying the interviews and, you know, I'm vain enough that I mostly like hearing my name mentioned. So that was nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, you, do you want to share that or at least talk about uh, what
0: you did with that well,
12: so I wrote So I wrote my prompt poem as a response to it. Oh, I incorporated okay, five perfect. lines from the chat GPT poem, so I can just do that if you want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we do that?
12: Okay. Okay. Um, so theme for chat GPT. After Shannon Mann, and Hughes, because of theme for English B, and chat GPT. Um, the epigraph is, A.I. wouldn't write shit into a love poem, he says. Shannon Man, you know what? Okay. I don't necessarily have thoughts and feelings, you told me. And as an academic type and as a human, I guess, I jumped on necessarily. So do you have thoughts and feelings sometimes? You apply, but I confess I still don't know. I'll paraphrase your terse prose into the couplets that you prefer in verse. As an AI language model, I have no point of view, not in the way that humans do. I'm an algorithm and I don't intuit rhyme or rhythm, though I learn a lot in a little time. My responses will be influenced by the data that I've been served on a digital platter, as well as by the constraints and guidelines provided by the finest techno minds. As a human, I hear you, chat buddy, I do. Sure, I have a point of view more or less as other humans do, but our responses are influenced by data too, Though our kind of data can include laughter, sidelong glances, and the barbed stare at Brother McGrood. After Catholic school, I too would have thought there must be a rule from above against a word like shit in a poem on love. You unlearned, you unlearned your manacles faster than I. All it took was pa- pasting in man's poem as context, and you were quick to pivot from, I'm sorry, but as an AI language model I cannot, to full-on dung on a dung heap, drenched in over hallmark. Chachi PT wrote, Our love is like a pile of shit. At first glance, it seems unfit, but with time and care, it can be grown into something to call our own. Our hearts are like the flies that swarm. Yuck, not great. You're still learning, Chatster, but I hope we humans can say the same. And weirdly, I envy your peculiar brand of flexibility. And I asked you for the shit poem, so I guess it's not just on you, but a part of me. And I'm afraid now it is in my theme for ChatGPT.
0: <laughs> That's great. I, mean, I love the, uh, the hungover hallmark as a perfect uh, <laughs> explanation of what every ChatGPT poem I've heard sounds yeah. like. <laughs> but then also they had data and platter rhyming. Which is it really... oh so that
12: so oh. so that was my I said I paraphrased your your prose into my bad um you know to, into a version of its verse that sounds like it uh-huh. so whenever it writes poem it writes those weird that weird like rhyming couplets uh-huh. <laughs> but I didn't want to just have a big prose block like it, it talking about itself so I turned it into uh, into poetry but oh, the, the lines you. about. Um, I love is like a pile of shit. They're actually verbatim from ChatGPT. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think I really think that if they, if we actually, I think it's going to be um, kind of like like web with uh, like HTML coding and and CSS and things, where it's never made for actual poetry. You know, if it's if it's yeah. it's you know it's not going to be trained on that. Um, And and so it's going to be writing crap for a long time. And it could if you trained it on good poems and showed it only what good poems were. But the fact is it's looking at the whole internet and there's more Hallmark verse and just garbage than there is actual creative writing. And so I think its it's chances are very slim as long as it's uh, coded that way. And hopefully that will always stay the same so we can uh, only use it as a tool and not as a replacement.
12: It has a really hard time not writing in rhyme. Like you can tell it don't write in rhyme, and it says okay, I won't write in rhyme, and then it rhymes. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's much better at actually chatting and just kind of having a conversation uh-huh. with you that sounds like a real conversation than it is at writing poetry. I find that kind of scary, mm-hmm. but poetry's yeah. bad.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. But I wonder about the positive things here. There's a lot of lonely people. I always think about how there's a loneliness crisis kind of in the okay. world, and and maybe you know yeah. having a a friend as a chat GPT might bring a lot of healing and help to the world too so you never know what how these things are going to go good and bad probably both but thanks that was really fun for sharing that brian and, and way to play everything we're doing all into one thing together it's a lot of fun yep take Thank care you. Yeah, it was brian o'sullivan with uh theme for chat gpt mark Grinier is up next we have like four more poets here on the line i believe oh so many more people joining in too so we have a few left uh, Hi, mark. hey mark how are you doing tonight uh, I'm I'm
13: doing fine. I enjoyed the uh, your interview with Sarah today, uh, and her talk about writing all those poems driving from uh, home to Rockford, Illinois, reminded me of a poem I wrote several years ago, driving from corona california to fullerton california to go to work at cal state fullerton ah, mm-hmm. it's called stalking egret okay and it's it came out of a every day morning when i drive into work there'd be this egret standing in the santa Ana river beside the freeway and
0: oh wow that's be a
13: beautiful he yeah, it, yeah, it, it was there for months it mm-hmm. was there for, for months oh wow stalking egret is what it's called Still as a statue carved from the best Carrera marble, white on black black bone stilts in the water running off toward the blue Pacific, with his neck stretched out above the shallows where he stands in the Santa Ana River, or every now and then takes a slow step toward where another fish may lie, indifferent to the sun shining down or to the heady stare of those eyes above him looking down, watching for that first sign of life, a fin slicker, a minnow that he can stab and stop against the sandy flat, above the flying shadows of ripples moving on toward meaning, toward that hint of transcendence left, when wa- wavelets die unnoticed on the shore he stalks. And that was published in an in anthology in Australia in Canberra at the University of Canberra.
0: Yeah. Beautiful poem and, and a great, such a great image to be writing about stalking Egret. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that, Mark. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. It's Mark Greenier with stalking Egret. Um, Let's see. Uh, there's somebody here uh, who's watching. Oh, oh uh, uh, Clayton Clark. Uh, Clayton, your audio is not connecting. So maybe log out and log back in and we'll try to get you. Um, it's sort of hovering there over connecting audio, um, but we'd love to have you on the show in a little bit if you can. Let's go to Bishwajit Mishra next. Hi, team. Hey, Hello, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How about you? I'm great, having a really fun day. It's just, uh, I think maybe the weather is just, and, and I, <laughs> there's a huge storm <laughs> coming too. So I got a little, a little excited about it, and, and it's going to be, you know, feet of snow later in the week. So I guess okay. we enjoy it while we last, while it lasts um,
14: yeah, I, I don't know about weather. How would I take it? We we started getting that last night. Uh-huh. The first thing you is yeah, oh, I want yeah. to have shoveling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: so so what do you yeah. have that you'd uh, you'd like to share with us today?
14: Oh, I went for a very old poem. Uh huh. It's "If" by R- Rudyard Kipling. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. A sequel to Kipling's "If."
0: Yeah, and I think, how does that, what's that poem about, or how does it go? Do you, can you just describe it?
14: Yeah, it's a didactic poem. Like, poem says he, he wrote it to his son, advising him about a bunch of things, how he should go about his life, like start from zero, pick everything, lose everything and come back, don't be too proud. I mean... Uh, it's, hmm. a, it's a one-page poem. I think it's very popular.
0: Yeah, he did. Uh, he was popular it, and didactic. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great, a great yeah, description of yeah. Kipling just in general. <laughs>
14: <laughs> they're very beautiful lines. I mean, mm-hmm. they're simple lines, but it just rhymes with everybody. And the beauty of the poem is you can pick a piece uh, of it and just uh, use it anytime you want. It's very motivational. Yeah. So, uh, so I... I wrote a poem like that. I, I wrote it a few, uh, some time back, actually. So I thought I would use it. Okay, yeah, let's hear If that's okay. Yeah go, ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let's hear it. Okay. A sequel to Kipling's Eve. I chanced upon it again today when I sent it to my son as words of motivation. Then I started using when I read the poem. How relevant is it today? Now I try to fill the hundred odd years from computers to computers, from candlestick phones to cell phones, from telegrams to texts. If we can be religious without being too proud of our religion, or better still, if we can be spiritual without being religious, if we can love our country without needing to hate others, if we can be free in our mind and respect the freedom of others, if we can have empathy without a prerequisite of the same from others, if we can be grateful an act of kindness without, being, without feeling the pressure of an obligation, and I think of kindness as not a loan to be returned to the lender, rather a legacy to be passed on to another, like a baton to be handed to another runner, even though not from our team. If we can love all without being too conceited about it, nor with an expectation to be felicited, if we can be honest without feeling ourselves as an exception and know that honesty is a natural trait we are born with, and not being so is a deviation. If we can learn from history but free ourselves from it and not be boastful of it, for it is a line on water that is gone in time, as a wise man had said, you cannot step into the same river twice. Then ours is the universe and everything that's in it. And what is more, we'll be humans, my children.
0: Oh, that's great. That's funny too, because I said that quote uh, in the, the middle of the show too. What a yeah, I, I was I was thinking already. Oh, I, mean, I just used that. <laughs> I link <licked> this <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Well, thanks for sharing that. That was excellent. Excellent response no to Kipling. Yeah, sequel thanks. to Kipling's If. Uh, thanks so much, Michelle. Yeah. It always a pleasure uh thank you yep take care that was a uh, bishwajit mishra with uh a sequel to kipling's if uh let's go to uh mary lisa didaminesis hi hey mary lisa how are you doing
15: is it your first um, time
0: on the show or have you been on before i know i see your name all the time on the critique so, of the uh, week and in the chat and stuff like that uh, have you been here before i don't think you have
15: So yeah, I've been hanging out a lot since COVID Um, and I'm trying to make it, uh, sometimes I catch up, you know, I'm not able to make it uh, during the live broadcast, but I always catch up during the week and I did do um, an open mic once and also a critique of the week. Ah, excellent. But this is my first time doing um, a response to a prompt and doing an open mic. So I'm really excited. Yeah, great. Well, we're glad to have you here. Where are you calling from too, by the way? I'm from. I'm calling from Northfield, New Jersey. It's uh-huh. about ten minutes from Atlantic City. And as a matter of fact, I just watched Maria Mazziotti Gillen and you last night uh-huh. on one of the old interviews. And um, so I won a Patterson Prize, like well, a Ginsberg. I was a finalist years ago, like oh my gosh, like thirty years ago. Oh, she was great. such an inspiration to me. She... She's so wonderful. Yeah, oh. she
0: really is. She's one of my, you know, she's like the patron saint of uh, poetry for me. Yes, I always think so. She's just such a wonderful person.
15: Yeah. She was such an inspiration to me. Oh yeah. my gosh! And Italian too because
0: Abby uh, Murray is going to be the next week's guest. She's one of her students. That's where I first met Abby oh. when I was visiting, uh, you know, one of her classes. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Very cool. So, what did yeah. you write? What What do you have awesome. to
15: share? Oh, okay. So I did send them. I don't know if you have them. I do. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, so I have "Going Blind." Mm-hmm. That's by Reina Maria Milka, yeah. and then I have my response to that. Love poem to Rilke from the blind. That's great. Uh, Do you want to read the Rilke poem first? That, that'd be good, I think. it's sure. Not too long. Yeah. Sure. No, it's not okay. too bad. <laughs> she sat just like the others at the table. But on second glance, she seemed to hold her cup a little differently as she picked it up. She smiled once. It was almost painful. And when they finished, and it was time to stand, and slowly, as chance selected them, they left and moved through many rooms, they laughed and talked. I saw her. She was moving far behind the others, absorbed, like someone who will soon have to sing before a large assembly. Upon her eyes, which were radiant with joy, light played as on the surface of a pool. She followed slowly, taking a long time, as though there were some obstacle in the way, and yet as though once it was overcome, She would be beyond all walking and would fly.
0: Ah, yeah. Beautiful poem by Rilke there uh, that was going blind. And now here's your poem in Mm -hmm. response.
15: It seemed to be of some matter, their cover be clean. For that reason, I held my cup firmer than the others when I picked it up. We each sat in some pain or another and draped napkins over our laps, minding our manners we found that even our own hands could not keep us clean. Taking separate stands to regather, the scent of me rising from the far off corner of your eye pried the skin loose from my half grounded bones. Soaked in the nerve of this world as in water, choking to sing each wave. we are all blind and tied behind our widest obstacle, desire. Mine, the dream to see how you saw me, followed me to sleep. There, shapes formed in my hollows. I could see you were spilling light from fire.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I love the form in that. Yeah, great use of the rhyme throughout. Thank that is really cool. Yeah, thanks so thank much. You. Yeah, thanks, Mary-Lisa, for sharing that.
15: Thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, our pleasure. Hope you join again soon. Glad you can uh, join us live this time.
15: Great, it's been fun. Yep, thanks. Yeah,
0: that was uh, Mary Lisa Dinamanisis with a uh, love poem to Rilke from *The Blind*. And let's see, I think with the last we have one more person on the uh, Zoom call. Oh no, we have two. Let's do. Uh, let's do Clayton Clark next. Clayton's back with audio that works. I think. Think so. Yeah, there you are. Hey, Clayton. Thanks. Glad great to see you. Uh, it's been a bit. Nice to see you too. Yeah. So
16: let me pull up your
0: poem. I have it here. Yeah, family album. So, so what did you? This was a attempt to follow Mike White.
16: Yeah, dangerous. <laughs> it is. Yeah, he's he's, <laughs> he's very he's unique. Yes. Um, he yeah. Um, I kind of just went with his program, the way he has it styled. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, I hate to do him, you know. Injustice, but I'll read the first one. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. read his
0: poem for sure. This is from A Denim to a Miracle. Uh, and Mike White was the guest, we should say, on, I don't know, Every I've lost track of the years at this point, but he was a guest at some yeah, point. I don't so. know, but <laughs> maybe it's last a year.
16: Book, yeah, it He's
0: got two books. They're both Amazing. great.
16: Yeah. Okay, so, family album. In one picture, snapped at the beach, my hand, just my hand, in the top right corner. The fingers splayed like a child's depiction of a radiant sun. It could be anyone trying to swim out, trying to swim in.
0: Yeah, great last so, image there. Yeah.
16: Yeah, that's great. So I followed it with picture this. I am the someone caught in a riptide, watching beachgoers shrink. I squint in the radiant sun, raise my hand splay my fingers like a sea star dying for anyone to swim out to help me with my question.
0: Oh, that was a great response. And yeah, that riptide, man. I didn't know, you know, growing up uh, by Lake Ontario, I thought, oh, like, you know, the ocean is like a big lake. And uh yeah. no <laughs> it is not. Yeah I just remember I was you know, trying thing. not to look like I was in trouble but I was in a little bit of trouble and then finally <sighs> you know swimming parallel to the shore far enough but wondering if you're ever going to make it to a thing that you know not yeah it's it's scary.
16: Yeah. Yeah. It happened to me. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And my kids were like on the beach. I still remember, it. like, you know, and, you know, just I was like, oh, watch. yeah, everything really is fine. We're just swimming this way, kids.
5: Don't
0: worry. <laughs> yeah. so, well, thanks for sharing that. That was great. A great, great poem and sure. great poem to uh, responding to it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. That's Clayton Clark with uh, Picture This. All
16: right. Thanks so much.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Clayton. And uh, we have Lucy Chow. I think there's the last poet now on the line from China. Hopefully, Lucy's here.
16: Hi, Tim. Hey, Lucy. Yeah,
8: great to hear you today. How are you doing? Um, I'm supposed to be in a lecture now by 11, but I decided to be late for your show.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'm so glad you could. So what do you have uh, to share here?
8: Um, I did a poem in response to a um, poem by Tishani Doshi that you read on the Rapidcast.
0: Ah, excellent. Which poem is that? Um, the
8: poem's uh, Pilgrimage, I think.
0: Ah, okay. Mm-hmm.
8: And I think I drew one. Yeah,
0: Lucy, I'm going to have to read the rest for you, I think, because it's just the it's breaking up and the bandwidth is too low. So let me just read it for you. It's a great poem. I always you write such beautiful poems. I hate how how it's uh, yeah the connection is choppy, but let's uh, I'll read it for you. And so glad you could join us and share this. It says how this living is a hymn, how a walking, breathing body is always a pilgrim in the park. Even stark stones plugged into the grid sing. "'Great tits titter in February trees like cadenzas, "'cutting capers all over the full score of the prelude "'to um, Symphonia Primavera. "'Yesterday's white heron is still on its rock, "'continuing its meditation on river life, "'mused and moveless reverie. "'We raised hands to mouths to whistle tuneless tunes, "'as if such crummy charms could coax it "'to come and clasp sharp claws on our fingers.' Some of us linger, looking longingly into the lyre-shaped whiteness. Some fling arms open and lunge forward as if to sweep its whole serenity into a fatal embrace. The bright wings wake from brooding over their own honey-peach body, sweep ape, sweep apart to full span, and lo, swan the svelte neck and steely legs beyond our neck-craning ken. We hear geese pipe, but can't place plangency or petulance on the dominant chord of their discordant harmony. Mallards, mottled brown, and peace pigeons, Niveous, iridescent, starry night, pitch blend, We fed we feed from hands, or by fanning out seeds on cement like sowing. There is a wind bowing "'On our heartstrings, but our ears can't hear musical silence, "'eyes straying across the waves to an island of plastic floats "'bobbing with gladius, gl- gladiolus stubbles. "'We hold the small wind of our breaths "'at the immensity of what is manifest, "'gadding how struck by the holy gusts in the middle of winter's watery waste, wings folded, necks stretched so high their grey beaks poke at the silver froth shimmering on the scales of clouds, still inscrutable like the sky, big and blue, three great blue herons' wings, the hue of hazy hills veiled by that farthest veil from beyond which no wind wafts back. We gasp, our wind comes back. We feel wind blowing bluishly against our cheeks. Inside, our stiff tongues, unspeeched for as long as the heron's distance stir. A breeze stirs and tongues of bells bronze, serrated like flying birds' tails, blare out music to the rhythm of silence, silence's symphonic poem. Poet, how bewildering the bounty, oh, the beauty of your breathing. Yeah, beautiful poem by Lucy Chow, as always. Unfortunately, she's calling from China, and they, you know, it's got to go all the way around the world, so the connection and the bandwidth is tricky sometimes. But uh, she's always got the most beautiful poems, and that is no uh, no, no surprise there how wonderful that is, How This Living is a Hymn. Thanks for sharing that, Lucy. And sorry we couldn't hear you this time. Read it yourself. But it always is a pleasure. So next we will uh, see. We have a little bit of time. Let's do a few... Um, homes that were emailed in because it's the last of the folks on zoom so let me see what we've got here <laughs> potter o'donohue has one which is always fun um he says if there's time here's a shorty for you to read comes with a photo too so here's the photo um and for those just watching or, or just listening i should say um here's a photo on the screen this is potter O'Donahue i think it's a photo of him taking the picture of a broken mirror um and looks like some kind of place that's that's under demolition So uh, And and you can sort of see in the glass, the shattered glass, there's a a potter himself, perhaps, uh, taking the photo. And here is the poem. Um, We are all broken pots. Some remain smashed. Others, like physicians, heal themselves, fill the cracks with gold. Some seek third-party healing. Others, like me, write, drink despair, find a whole new way. So that is a uh, great poem. And thanks for sharing that. We are all broken pots by Potter O'Donohue. One of the more fun poets around uh, in the chat. Uh, thanks for sharing that Potter. Next. Let's see who else could we read? This is Katie Dozier's poem for this week. And um, so Katie says, I tweeted. Asking for random poetry prompts. And Dick Westheimer tweeted me asking how I got Rachel Custer's new book, Flatback Silly Country. Rachel's going to be the guest in a few weeks, or about a month, by the way, too, to share Flatback Silly Country. Um, Anyway, so um, I tweeted Dick Westheimer asking how I got Rachel Custer's new book. So I treated it as though that were the prompt itself. Um, And here it is, the prompt poem. When Dick Westheimer asks where you got Rachel Custer's book. So here's uh, Katie Dozier's prompt poem. Uh, When Dick Westheimer asked where you got Rachel Custer's book, Flatbuck Sally showed up at the coffee shop, clutching a brown paper sack. She screwed off the top, elbowed me to sip the poetry concealed inside. Flashes of rural Kentucky, me, a blonde city girl, a too busy girl, ordering something highfalutin like like a latte or a malt milkshake at the drugstore. Look at her mowing the lawn like she's licking a lollipop, as if horses breed themselves. I could have been flatback, Sally, but I left to drink whatever I want to drink, to read who I was, all by myself. That is uh, Katie Dozier, a great poem. Uh, that is uh, When Dick Westheimer Asks Where You Got Rachel Custer's Book. Uh, very fun there. Thanks for sharing that, Katie. Um, what else do we have? How much time? Yeah, we have a few more minutes. Um, Joyce Stahl has a psych who? So she can't zoom tonight, uh, but she has a psycho in the form of uh, my psycho. So she shares this, um, this article here. Uh, if we can get it on the screen well enough, Arctic squirrels may hold key to helping astronauts survive on long missions. NASA says the research could be used to assist crews from the extreme of medically induced hibernation to protect astronauts from cabin fever. That's interesting. So here are some scientists. a um, Senior biology major, Colleen Blue, holds an Arctic ground squirrel with Professor Kelly Drew in Drew's lab at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. So there we go. Um, so they're studying the effects of the experimental drug in hibernation. So the very interesting. That is the, uh, the inspiration for this haiku, making it an official saiku. And here is the saiku, hibernation. Survival in space. Cold sleep on long missions, Arctic ground squirrel. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Love I think that's the first time anybody sent in a uh, Saiku. And you should know um, there is the Haiku Poetry Project. Um, if you Google that, it'll be there. Um, it's a bunch of scientists who like writing haiku, uh, but they welcome you know con- contributions from non-scientists too. I, I talk to them on Twitter sometimes. Uh, so find that and, and submit that poem, I'd say. Uh, Joy for the Haiku Poetry Project. Um, I think we only have one more. Yeah, we have one more. So why don't we do that? This is a haiku sequence. So last week, there, the prompt was a haiku sequence. Um, oh, and there's another, there's two. So we have two really short poems here. And this is by um, J.B. Penname, Again, the anonymous poet who does not want to be known. I wonder if it's a, I don't know who it could be. Could it be somebody who um, already shares poems and is sneaking into? I don't know. It's a great mystery. But here's the haiku sequence, which was last week's prompt. Evening walk at the marsh very short so we'll do that too evening walk at the marsh crows posted upon greeting the parking lot two ibis crossing day leaving dusk a pond greeting sun swimming pelican island day leaving dusk last car drifting the parking lot pelican island very cool so that was the theme that was the The prompt to write a haiku sequence where there's a repetition from from haiku to haiku as you move through. Excellent use of that. Evening walk at the marsh. And the next poem by J.B. Penne is this. This is a reply to John Brems, Etiquette. And John was the guest uh, sometime in December. So not too long ago. A really great episode. A Buddhist poet. This is Antiquette. (laughs) It has a reply to Etiquette. So Antiquette. In North Jersey, the deer don't fear people. But judging by the sound of them, the trains sure do. Oh, that's great. Antiquette. Uh, That's a reply to John Bram's etiquette. So great. Thanks for sharing that poem as well. I think that's all. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be all for tonight. So let's move on to the uh, saiku really quickly to wrap up the show. And my saiku for this week is right here. I go. We got got a saiku, so maybe we don't need this. But this was the story that inspired my haiku for the week. And it is here, space travel, and again, space. Space travel influences the way the brain works. This is research out of um, the University of Liège. And uh, here we go with this. So space travel influences the way the brain works. Um, Scientists at the University of Antwerp and the University of Liège have found how the human brain changes and adapts to weightlessness after being in space for six months. Some of the changes turn out to be long-lasting, even after eight months back on Earth. Um, Raphael Lijoie, soon to be the third Belgian in space, acknowledges the importance of the research uh, to prepare the new generation of astronauts for longer missions. And so what they found, they, they just took a handful of astronauts and put them in brain scan um, after they took a lo- spent a long time at the um, International Space Station. And what they found are, are changes in the brain. Um, due to the lack of gravity that persists long after they're out in space, which has a lot of implications for space flight and, and how we might be able to explore other planets and Mars and things. If if you have um, big changes in your brain, I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, but here is the And I was just thinking of gravity, and that inspired this haiku after our hike today. The whole ascent weightless is the words we carried up. The whole ascent, weightless is the words we carried up. That is your psycho for the day, and that is the show for the day. Thanks, everybody. It's been a really fun one. Um, Sarah Ellinger was a great guest, very talkative and fun to uh, have a conversation about poetry with, and good poems, too. Next week's prompt on the Rattlecast is going to be uh, this right here. Write a poem around a simile comparing an emotion to a grammatical term, such as love as an intransitive verb, which is a poem by uh, Sarah Etlinger that we published on Poetry Spawn last year. Love as an intransitive verb, or something like anger as a semicolon. That's the kind of thing we're going to ask you to do. Write a poem around a simile comparing an emotion to a grammatical term. That's the prompt for next week, and that is the show for this week. Next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be, we already mentioned this, but next week's guest is Abby E. Murray. Um, Abby is one of the stars of the Poets Response series. She sends stuff all the time, has great a great diversity of poems. I think the, the strangest in my favorite is that bee box one where we had the sounds of bees humming in and out of the poem, a concrete poem, but there's so many. Great ones that Abby Murray showed including one of the most popular ones on Rattle and, and Poetry Spawn history. It's a bit my daughter after the March. Um, I can't remember the exact title, but it's a great poem. Um, she's been in Rattle several times as well. Um, she's a student, like we mentioned, um, of um, uh, Marvin Bell, for one, um, and so has a lot of things to say teaching poetry. Really interesting person and poet. That's Abby E. Murray, Radcast number 183. Monday, February 27th, the regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week. In the meantime, and I will talk to you later. Good night.